Everybody, and it's June twentieth. It's a Saturday night. We are starting our taping here for Full Blisted Hot Take. It will go over two different days, so I'm excited to do a few different Full Blisted and Hot Takes. Um, it is the fourth episode in this format for us in season two. 
Uh, and I am here as always with my co-hosts, Josh and Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well, John. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're the, father of, this, you're the father, father of this podcast. podcast. You're the father, the father of the podcast. And the father of this country as well. <laughs> so. A founding mm-hmm. father. Yep. And unless there's something I don't know, I don't know if there's anything else I'm the father of, <laughs> thankfully. And Josh, how are you? I'm doing well also. Enjoying this Sunday. Great. I'd, I'd also like to make a plug. I'd like to say happy birthday to CTS. Mm. We turned one. We turned one yesterday. All right. Our first episode was released on June nineteenth, twenty twenty. So, uh, cheers, everybody! Cheers, Casa, to that. Casa Benita for everybody for the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been consistent for for one year. Yes, releasing episodes weekly. And what better way to celebrate a birthday than to do some cold list and hot takes? Am I right? There you yes. go. There we go. And we've got seven very different, very interesting albums, I believe all from the year 1972, if I'm correct, guys. So we get a slice of life that is the year 1972. Uh, We have only crept into 72 barely um, so far. I think it's only uh, David Bowie, if I remember correctly, in terms of our original show, in terms of 1972 albums. Uh, you might have had one before that too. So no, you've been before. you've been in seventy two for a little bit. Oh, you are correct. I had um, I had two actually. I had uh, Exile on Main Street, and I had Close to the Edge by Yes. So I have been in seventy two for a while, but we have not spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, and next week, I know on the show we actually dip into seventy three as well, but we're not there yet. We're at seventy three, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and set up the clock for us because we're doing as always in a perfect world a 15 minute cold listen hot take we do go over sometimes if we get particularly passionate about an album so it's a loose 15 and for those listening for the first time in this format unlike our regular show we are not doing bios uh we are not even doing research for these we are just listening to the albums and then we are commenting on them in a hot take format so good bad or indifferent um you're going to be getting a little bit more of an unfiltered version of our thoughts. Uh, And I believe that we are going to start with Curtis Mayfield, who we're going to be covering for the second time. Uh, Before I start the clock for us, Matt, give us some numbers. It's Superfly. Superfly by Curtis Mayfield. So um, in the Rolling Stone list, the top 500 list, this comes in at number 76 of all time. So a very highly regarded in in the new Rolling Stone list in best ever albums it's ranked number 125 in the 1970s and number 12 in the year 1972 and 531 overall so it did pretty well i would say as the overall in the overall charts here absolutely okay and for uh, a review of an earlier curtis mayfield album it is also a cold list and hot take and it was actually i believe in our was it our second show um, in the 70s in the bonus groupings or our first show? I probably should have done my, my research on that at least. Uh, uh, first, the first one. It was first the first show. one. Yep. yep, and it's the 1970 album Curtis. So if you want to dig in, that's where you'd find it. And um, this album, Superfly, is his highest ranked album in Best Ever Albums while Curtis is number two. So, Gotcha. Okay, okay. so we're covering the best of the best here in, in Curtis's early career post-impressions. I'm going to go ahead and start the clock and I'm going to pitch to Josh. Josh, what are your thoughts on this album? So I had a little bit of experience. No, I knew this album already. I've seen the movie before, Superfly. Is this the first one, Josh, for the uh, Code Listens that you that you knew the album going into the uh, the show? I think so, yeah. Could be. 
Yeah, it's kind uh, of a rarity, right? Like usually yeah, these are yeah, all brand new to yeah. us. So right, and um, we don't have. I mean, at least yet we haven't had too many soundtrack albums um, in no. general. So this is probably one of the best, if not the best, soundtrack album ever. It is. It epitomizes the black exploitation sound and the and the funk that goes along with it. Mayfield is eponymous with that as well, I think, and and this movie is the same. Right from the from the start, you get the wow, wow, like type of sound that is indicative of this album, and then it follows along through the album, uh, loosely following the story um, that the movie tells. I. Pusher Man, which is the second track on the album, is probably one of my favorite songs of all time, even though it's about drug hmm. dealers. And it's just one of those so- songs that makes you dance and has an immediate like pull to its to its song and to its sound, and it's really catchy. I feel like the rest of the album is the same way, even the instrumental tracks, which there are a few on here, um, really hold up well. And... This is, I know you guys weren't as high when we talked about the Curtis self-titled album um, back on the Coldest Not Takes One, but I feel like this is kind of what I heard also on that album, although I think this does it better. Um, He just really captures an era uh, of black life, uh, maybe exaggerated a little bit for the movie, but it just has all these great vibes and sounds and instrumentation and there's horns in this as well and yeah i just i love it i love this album gotcha matt what were your thoughts so i i um i liked it and it seemed like i could not really differentiate much between this and the first curtis mayfield album that we heard so i what you said (laughs) there josh i agree with it's um a lot of my notes are just very similar to kind of my thoughts on the first one that we covered. Um, this mm-hmm. it's it's a very '70s sounding right. album, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I just mean that that's when you hear this, it's like, yeah, this is the '70s, and it's there's a ton of instrumentation going on here, right? There's there's um, there's full blown orchestra, you know, string arrangements. There's horns. There's um, bongo. The bongo drums again are very prevalent here. The wah wah guitar, um, and, and you know, and it's all you know centered around. Um, Curtis Mayfield's voice, that falsetto, you know, that smooth right. falsetto that he has throughout the whole record. That's just really great. Um, so, uh, you know, so a lot of this was just kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I, I picked up on some of the messaging about, you know, there's a lot of drug references here, you know, you know, life on the streets, um, you know, push your man. Uh, there's one even here, no thing on me or slap the cocaine song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's about drugs. Uh, you know, so uh, so there's a lot of that stuff. And Junkie Chase, that was one of the instrumentals here. So obviously you're kind of, I've never seen the movie, but you're just picking up on kind of what's going on in the film there. Uh, but yeah, I could just, I, I can just listen to this soundtrack and picture in my head, you know, dudes just walking down the street in their 70s, you know, outfits and, right. and stuff kind of, uh, you know, uh, doing their thing, bell bottom jeans, stuff like that. Um, I didn't, I was surprised with the last track. I was like, Oh, the beastie boys. I recognize that baseline. That's yeah. from, uh, <laughs> something in Paul's boutique. One of the mm-hmm. probably 8,000 things that they sampled in Paul's boutique. Um, but, uh, but that was That was great as well. I don't think I knew any of these songs. Freddie's dead sounded a little familiar. I'm not sure if that was, 
I don't know if any of these were singles or anything like that, if I might have heard that before somewhere. But um, but overall, I liked it. Again, this isn't my 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 genre. It's it's and I really haven't listened to Curtis. I didn't go back and listen to Curtis's debut album Curtis after listening to it on the cold listen so this is really like two times I've really listened to this in my entire life mm -hmm. uh, I like it it's interesting it's um, it, it's it's definitely has a lot of grooves going on very danceable um, and uh, you know I I, I liked it I, I didn't I wouldn't say I love it because it's not really the, the my type of thing that I would love but I but I do appreciate it I do like I like it for uh, it's you know the, kind of what it's doing and um, yeah it's, it was a fun listen so uh, you know I liked it Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I probably will draw this in larger sketches. I while there's similarities in terms of the musicality of this album to Curtis, for sure, it does feel to some degree like continuation of it. The theme, probably because of the nature of the movie, it's scoring. And while that's a while that movie itself is sort of a big hyperbolic film, um, it is talking about um, real problems in urban America at that point in time. And so it's a right. darker album for sure. The um, Curtis was pretty uplifting. There were definitely periods of clouds with some of the civil rights stuff, but it still was a very hopeful album. And the sound of it, was that this is a darker album. One thing that comes across immediately is this is a true soundtrack album. As you said, Matt, you've never seen the movie, but you get a gist of what's going on from the lyrics and mm -hmm. the tone within the songs. It does line up very well with the film in terms of what's going on in the film at times, even literally like Freddie's dead and stuff like, uh, um, stuff like that. Um, but I think I read something about this one time that said, this is the, the black equivalent of Saturday night fever. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huh. actually a really good description, not necessarily musically, but for where it was in the culture and what it represented. It, it created a sound that you could listen to and have a general sketch of what um, early 70s soul sounds like. Maybe even more so, and, and we haven't covered either of these guys yet, although we'll cover one of these guys later in this very episode, actually. Um, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, we're all around here, but Curtis Mayfield, if you're a novice listening to this type of music, is probably as good a place to start as any. He's certainly mm -hmm. more accessible than... There's a riot going on by Sly and the Family <laughs> Stone that we yeah. covered, but they're covering yeah. they're covering a lot of the same issues when you think about it. They they kind of hit the same touch point, and they're both in that soul funk genre. The difference is just the arrangement, isn't it? And that Curtis Mayfield has these lush melodies with clear bass lines. Nothing's muddled with it. It's crystalline. Mm -hmm. um, it's complicated, but also. You don't, it's not impenetrable, whereas uh, Sly and the Family Stone is kind of the opposite. It's stuff pushed to the back. It's at times impenetrable, especially the lyrics when we listen to it. You you don't have to search for the lyrics in this uh, on purpose because it's mm. a soundtrack, so you want to hear what's going on. But I, I do think that that description of it as being sort of the Saturday Night Fever album of um, of both Blaxploitation uh films but also in general soul music in the early 70s really stands out like the earlier album it's got really good bass lines he's very good he's got that falsetto voice which is very mm. recognizable um at the beginning um it, it's clear funk clear clear funk the songwriting is really strong too he has a real knack with melody um that i like and he somehow manages to be he somehow manages to make tough music 
but that doesn't become a parody, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's why this soundtrack has outlived the film in terms of that's yeah. It, it's almost it's almost it's almost a movie like Saturday Night Fever where the soundtrack is more well known than the film is yeah. at this point, and you could put two together. But that's sort of my my general stuff. You mentioned Pusher Man, which is a great song. I, I, my favorite song on the entire album is Freddy's Dead. I just think that does a really good job of tone and mood. The, the lyrics are direct. Um, it's really funky. I like that. I, unlike you guys who talk about it being, da- I'm not a dance person. So I don't think of necessarily, I, I think of music as a groove more so than do I dance to this. And so like, it's, I totally get how someone could dance to this, but I don't, when I'm listening to Curtis Mayfield, I'm not thinking, oh, let me get up and dance. I'm thinking, and, and for that reason, uh, for that matter, all R&B and soul. I'm never thinking, can I dance? I'm thinking more like, am I in a groove? Are you so bobbing I think your I, head, John? It's more, I think of it in the context, I think like a rhythm section in music would. Like, what are the bass lines? Where are the drums at on this? And then I experience the vocals on top of it. And, and we've talked about this before. I, I always go to the rhythm section first. So mm-hmm. funk is a very easy thing to get into a certain groove for me because uh, the bass is right there. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes there's rhythm guitar and brass as well, which adds to the rhythm section. And the drums, you pretty quickly realize, are they faded in the back or are they out in front thundering or are they going back and forth? Um, you know, So songs like No Thing On Me, the cocaine song, has one vibe to it. Uh, Junkie Chase, as you might imagine, even though it's a, it's even shorter, which I think is kind of cool because it's a chase scene, right? So it's a shorter song, which I think's a neat way to conceptualize that. And of course, all the way at the end with Superfly, which ties everything together thematically. So um, you don't really see soundtrack albums later in the 80s and 90s that have a theme like this because normally it was just soliciting work from different artists um it's a very different soundtrack when one artist does the whole soundtrack yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah so definitely. i i enjoyed that. i definitely enjoyed this more than curtis i felt this was a more fully formed uh version of curtis mayfield sound and uh maybe it was a little bit more edge in it but i i connected a lot more with it and as a result i was able to slide into the groove a little bit more so this is a thumbs up for me for sure matt the listening to the soundtrack and John, I assume you had seen the film before based on what you were saying. I have. Yep, yeah. I have. Matt, does it f- feel like you're interested to see the film more hearing the soundtrack? Um, I don't know if I would say out? that. Um, I'd see. It's not saying that I wouldn't see the film, but I, I can't yeah. say that I heard this and I was like, oh man, now I need to see the film. Right. Um, so uh, honestly, that's probably the one thing that it's like over the years that I've really like fallen off on is, is movies. Like I've in some ways I've, I've kept up with music or TV or movies i just i i don't really see a whole lot of movies anymore um but uh i i would see it you know um yeah you know is it it's it's good josh yeah it's entertaining how many how many how many popcorn boxes or whatever <laughs> however you rating scale what's on i don't think your... i've rated it because i haven't seen it since i oh, started rating stuff. okay all right i feel that you know we use saturday night live matt or saturday night live saturday night fever um yeah. i feel in many ways that um it's it's like it's like a musical in some ways, like Grease, not thematically, but do you get what I'm saying, Matt, where it's tongue yeah. in cheek and yes. it's, it's, it's a slice of life, but it's a kind of a ridiculous outsized slice of life yeah, that for sure. you can recognize, but it's a, 
almost a parody of the slice of life in the way that Greece is a parody of slice of life fifties or right. You know, no, I, uh, I think I kind of, yeah. yeah with, with black exploitation. I, I mean, I'm kind of aware of what, you know, what the, what the theme is or what that, you know, that kind of parody, yeah. you know, what they're going for there. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, there's, there's, that's just the thing. Like there's tons of older movies that I've just never seen before and I need to get caught up on, but um, I would see this. Yeah. For sure. Um, the other thing I liked is I, we, we talk about all the bass and the grooves and all that stuff, but like, I love how he throws the harp on here, which is totally not something that you would have associated. And he did this on the first well, album. He, he too. did it on the first album, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and I and I remember that. I'm like, yeah, the bongos, the harp. It's like an interesting combination of things, and uh, for a funk type album to throw the harp in there and make it work is kind of unique. Like, I, I, I like that. See, it's about the second or third time we've heard the harp. Like, we did Alice Coltrane had that, oh, too, yeah, in a really right. unique way as well. So uh, I'm kind of digging the harp. It's, 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 it's not overly used, but when we've heard it being used, it's, it's, it's found a place, oddly enough, which in, in, a, in a genre that you wouldn't ordinarily find the harp. <laughs> so uh, I like that. I will say that, that while I enjoyed this album quite a bit and would would pretty highly recommend this. I do find that I I don't know if I'd say the harder edged, but the type of funk that that uh, Funkadelic and Isaac Hayes were doing hits me a little bit more. I think some of it might have to do with the the voice, the falsetto voice lends itself to a different type of vibe mm -hmm. um, and hits in a different way. Whereas I always felt Isaac Hayes and mm -hmm. you know with the deep bass and then. Um, uh, you know, in Funkadelic, there's multiple people singing, but you know, it's a lot of times it's more like baritone and even you know, tenor at, at the highest, right? It's um, because of that. I think the rhythm section sounds more um, has a little bit more um, dark edge to it, I guess, or, or dangerous edge to it. Uh, this album, even though it's singing about dangerous topics, and it it gives a feel in its own way. I don't know if it it doesn't feel as um, dangerous to me and i like mm. my funk music to feel a little dangerous um mm. yeah um and yeah I, I i don't really know how to explain it but there's a there's a hierarchy for me of funk and i think curtis mayfield doesn't quite hit me in the same way that those other two artists do um, danger danger funk yeah, I, it's hard for me to explain. It's just the, the way the rhythm section pops out. Um, at, now, the wah-wah guitar here is probably done better here than in almost any funk album we've covered, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd go that far as hmm. to say I think this is the best. And, and that's Curtis Mayfield, if I remember correctly, playing that wah-wah guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and composing all of this stuff. So, yeah, it was um, definitely enjoyable and definitely, I mean, very much... It's every bit as essential to listen to in the seventies as albums that have been talked about, you know, your Exile and you know Ziggy Stardust, yeah. and you know this one's every bit as essential as those albums, just coming from a different genre. And sometimes that might be under discussed, but I think it it's a, it's a must listen if you want to understand the early seventies, certainly in soul and R and B, and even you know um, just in black music. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, this would be a one I would like to know kind of the background of how he got involved with the project if he was the the person right away that was tasked with scoring the soundtrack or if they were hunting around or that would be something worth researching on my end i think that could be a combination cleaning the stacks and josh's movie corner yeah true Whole if you were so inclined josh i don't mean Indeed. to put you on the spot there but 
Well, you'll have to tune into our next episode to see if Josh <laughs> cleans that stack. But yep. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to put a put an end to our first segment of the show, uh, Superfly by Curtis Mayfield. Sounds like three recommendations, pretty strong across the board, but particularly Josh and I uh, would recommend it for you. Uh, Matt, I would say enjoyable, but not yeah. strenuous, right? Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that this is something that maybe with you know more listens, um, I might like it more. But uh, yeah, it's a little little outside my normal lane, but, um, but I did like it. It was good. Well, speaking of being inside or outside Matt's lane, we're going to do Steely Dan, Can't Buy a Thrill next. So Matt, before you steam into your hot take right here, which I'm very excited to listen to, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the uh, numbers for Steely Dan. Steely Dan, so the Can't Buy a Thrill, their debut album, if I'm not mistaken, um, comes Correct. in at number 168 in Rolling Stone's Top 500 list, another highly ranked album for them. Uh, in the 1970s on Best Ever Albums, it's 133. And 1972, the year that it was released, is number 14. And overall, it's 571. Um, all right, so... I have historically, and I don't even know if I can say historically, I have to say this is probably something I've had an opinion on for the past 10 years or so, but just not liking Steely Dan. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I've I, always known, I didn't know anything about this album. Like that when we said Can't Buy a Thrill, I'm like I've never heard of it. Um, Asia is the one that always kind of comes up as being their crowning achievement. That's the highest ranked album on Best Ever, Ever, Ever Albums. This one's just behind it. And um, I've heard a lot of people that I know, a couple of good buddies of mine love Steely Dan. I've listened to them before, and I'm like, I don't get it. This is like this Yacht yeah. Rock kind of stuff that I've never really been into. And so I kind of just took this position of like, I hate this band. Like, this is an overrated band that I hate. Mm -hmm. um, and I listened to the record this week, and I can't believe how much I liked it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to question um, whether my opinion before was well-informed. But I, I, it's going to be interesting when we cover Asia, because I know we are doing that in the regular episode. Um, so uh, And that's the one that I've usually gone to, like, ugh, I don't really understand this. But um, So first of all, there's three hits on here yes, that I, that I, I didn't, didn't know were still <laughs> Steely Dan songs, to be uh, honest. Yeah. These are you songs... didn't know these songs were Steely Dan? This is so, like peak Steely Dan. Yeah, these are this like is... their most famous songs, I think. Yes, uh, it, yeah, they, yeah, with, they, yeah, they totally are. And I've known all these songs. It's it's very interesting for me because with each one of them, so we're talking about Do It Again, Dirty Work, and um, Reeling in, in the, the Years. years. Yeah. I mean, these are songs, even if you never, you don't know the titles, like you just play a, a bar from them and it's like, oh, this is a, this is a song that's been on the radio all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember hearing these songs. These songs have just been in the ether since as far back as I can remember, really. Right. Um, so, but the interesting thing is, up until this past week, those songs have always just been in the background. I don't ever remember going, I hate these songs, right? Yeah. I, I was, I've always been indifferent to them. They've always just kind of been there. I've never really paid a whole lot of attention, hence not even really knowing that Steely Dan is the artist behind them, to be, which, which was, oh, so, so in a way, I was like, this album was very interesting because it was just like an Easter egg dropped here and there throughout it. Right. Um, and when I really listened to it, I was like, this is a lot better than what I remembered. Like, the, you know, I found that I, I, I liked the, it's a very upbeat album. It's very catchy. Yeah. It's very bouncy. Um, I, I think I, you know, in some songs that I didn't know, like Midnight Cruiser, the fourth track on here has a great chorus. Like that's a, it's a very melodic, very catchy album. Now the production is very much in that seventies um, yacht rock kind of lane, yeah. which um, is a sound that you know years ago I would have said that's I hate that like it's just this it, I always feel like it's kind of like this weak, I always felt like it was this weak sounding kind of soft like 
schlocky kind of sound with talk about no edge, right? There's not, I can't really think that this, anybody would say that this has edge, but I think the more that I'm listening, like, I think part of it is this podcast is going, you know, listening to records that, you know, like Dusty Springfield comes up, that's kind of in that realm as well, you know, kind of like the the production, the strings, you know, the 70s, 60s production, um, which, which this has, I've always kind of been turned off, but like actually forcing myself to sit down and listen to it. Um, I'm getting a little bit more of what's what they're doing here, and I really like this. So yeah. I'm just—I was very surprised. I don't think there was any. I think maybe, um, I think the last track might have been the one that I liked the least. Turn to turn that heartbeat over again. That was kind of one that I felt a little bit didn't really have a hook in it that I liked it. Fire in the hole a little bit like that as well. Um, but they have like some country in here, like that song Brooklyn um, owes yeah, the I chamber that under me. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's like a country. They got like slide guitar stuff going on there, and I really like that country. Something that I've you know been liking more as the years have gone on. So very surprised here. Um, I'm eating crow. Uh, I, I we'll see what happens with Asia. I still might reserve the right to to, to shit on that album, but um, I I was surprised with this. This is a very catchy, upbeat, good summer album too. I was listening to this on a warm day, and um, you know, uh, yeah, I was surprised. Very crisp production. Um, interesting guitar parts. Very good. Very good. Um, solos on here as well like some really good guitar solos that sounded like a little Almond Brothers-esque, I would say, as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, surprised. What It's amazing what happens when you actually listen to something. So It yeah. does seem like like your type of album. I think the vibe yeah. is very much like jam bandy in a way. I yeah. feel like I liked it. I Steely Dan is one of those bands that was... I never paid attention to it all, but I feel like I know on the internet circles that I... And like Twitter that I follow, a lot of people are big Steely Dan fans, and, but they never came up in my life at all, and I never sought them out. So when I heard this album for the first time, this is the first time I've heard this album, I, I knew this, I knew the hits, like we said, but I kind of liked the, I kind of liked it too. Uh, I liked the vibe of it. That was kind of my total takeaway of this album is they're kind of laid back, but they've got, they're doing interesting things in their songs. Um, they've got some great choruses and hooks I found, and I like their integration of horns into the, um, of the album. And I think they use, they do other, they have like woman backup singers, which I like too, on one of the songs on Kings. That's the third track. And I think they had like some organ too, um, which I normally don't like, but I liked it when they used it in here. A lot of different types of keys. I think that they're, that they're using on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's got this very summery thing. I don't, I I'm not sure if they are yacht rock. They might be proto yacht rock because I think this is a little early, but I think the the hallmarks are there of of that type of feel and instrumentation. And I think they have a couple different singers too. They harmonize pretty well at times. And yeah, this was enjoyable. Do we know mm-hmm. if this is their debut album or where it is? Balls? Okay, I did I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'd say it's a strong debut. It's their second highest rated al- album on uh, best ever albums behind Asia. So. Okay. John, what did you think of Steely Dan? I, I, I'm I'm baffled you guys don't know this album. <laughs> this album is like, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to compare. Like what else? Boston, Boston maybe, or Aerosmith Rocks or any of those albums that sold freaking 30 million copies in the 70s that mm, embody yeah. like the 70s sound that get played on classic rock a jillion times i i and, and not even to be um 
dismissive or haughty, but like I'm I'm actually shocked that you guys didn't know those songs were Steely. I'm like, if you were telling me to list off Steely oh, I, Dan I knew they songs, were Steely Dan songs, like okay, yeah, I knew the hits. It was me. Worked. It was me. Okay, it's it just yeah. I, I first of so I know while Steely Dan isn't one of my favorite bands at all, they've always fallen in guilty pleasure for me. Always all all versions of 70s Steely Dan. It's important to notice that or to note that this Steely Dan album and later Steely Dan albums have some clear differences in terms oh, okay. of the musicality and maybe even the popness. And some of that is because um, Palmer uh, is the singer. Uh, David Palmer, I think, uh, I want to say, is the... For Steely I, Dan? For, he's the singer only for this album. And that's one thing you I have thought to it was know. Fag- I thought it was Donald Fagan. No, and- no, no. Fagan, Fagan and... Um, God. Becker, I think, right? Yeah, Fagan and Becker. Becker they're yeah. the songwriters, which I'm going to get to later, but they are not the singers on this oh, album. Oh, they don't sing at all. See, I don't they, even know that. They do a little bit, <laughs> but but David Palmer is the main singer on this album. Okay, I never heard and of that so, guy. And so, like, you have to know that going in, because what he sounds like makes them more of a pop band. And so if you like the hits on this album, mm-hmm. songs are going to sound different from Steely Dan in the future because the vocal content is going to sound different. So right off so, the bat, I said, so this is guy, the David Palmer album. David that guy quit he, or got kicked out or if died? I remember or... cr- no, if I remember cr- correctly, he quit after the tour. Um, I don't know. Okay. I know that like the, the audiences hated them when they, they toured, which is really funny since basically Steely Dan is AOR, like personified in many ways. And they played on classic rock to this day. I mean, oh, I yeah. could turn on basically terrestrial radio and hear dirty work at some time or another. It just, I feel like, or, or reeling in the years, right? These are songs that um, you hear all the time. Yes. Um, but uh, they're like, they're both memeable and standalone in their there. One thing I'll give Steely Dan credit for is you can hear their songs on this album in particular, like a thousand times, and they both make you like laugh and go, oh boy, what a 70s AOR song this is, but yeah. also still they're good enough songs that you also have to appreciate them on their own. And and that's because the songwriters, Becker and Fagan, I know they wrote songs for other artists, and I'm pretty sure they wrote a song for like Barbara Streisand, if I remember. Um, they were pretty accomplished songwriters, and um, they might... I'm, I'm doing like a bio off the top of my head just from having watched documentaries. Like, I'm pretty sure they either worked at the Brill Building or wanted to work at the Brill Building. Oh. And you can hear it because they write these very, very clever lyrics. I, I, one thing about Steely Dan's lyrics is they always make me laugh because they're, they got that AOR, but there's more to it than a lot of other AOR bands in terms of both their musical talent as well as their compositions are just advanced enough to not be schlocky i'd say um i think that they've unfairly gotten lumped in with a lot of bands that are much uh less talented than them because the sound of steely dan got appropriated by a lot of bands in the and and i don't know how many of them we're going to cover here because they're not critical darlings they might show up on the rolling stone countdown since there are some albums that people enjoyed listening to that may not have been critical darlings in the 70s but the sound of what steely dan was doing here was copied by you guys keep saying yacht rock but i would say it's more what i call aor which is stuff designed to be played on the radio and in stadiums and to be sung along with by 
20,000 people. I just don't think Steely Dan realized that was what was going to happen to them, <laughs> which makes this different <laughs> and also makes how they composed it a little bit different. But I, yeah, I really enjoy this album. I, there aren't many bad songs on this album. I like that they, they do a lot of different things and, and uh, they're somehow accessible, but they, they, um, they also very much have a, you could tell a jazz background. Oh yes. And they, very and much they, so. There's like, there's like a bossa nova on this. Mm-hmm. The first, I mean, uh, I mean, Santana, I, 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 I was gonna say. Oh, well, I was gonna say, and and that's what I was gonna say. Like the opening track is almost as good a Santana track as the Santana yeah, track in many true. ways. And so they're in. And that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, Waste of Years is not the song I'm talk, uh, talking about for, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Do It Again, I'm sorry. It's not the song I'm talking about for Bossa Nova. That's a different song. Right. But there's there's Blue-Eyed Soul here. There's uh, uh, soaring vocals. There's stuff that like the Eagles and stuff were doing yep. around the same time. Yeah, it do, it there's jazz fusion. So there's a little bit of an overlap with Jethro Tull, who I think for a lot of people blends together with Steely Dan. I don't know if it's because their names kind of are unique, but they're, they're kind of del- – they're like a grab bag of 70s music, especially mm-hmm. this album – Sounds like it's it could have been made in 1975 as opposed to 1972 is what I thought of when I heard this because even I was like ooh this was 72 huh this mm. I thought this was 74 and I know Asia's like later 70s so I thought I'll be honest I thought that their debut album would have been something like 74 75 with their sound but yeah, Asia's nope. 77 yeah so and it's a very different sounding album as you'll find out when we listen yeah. to it but yeah I would say that. This is a, this is a very strong recommend for me. I like this album quite a bit, and always have liked this album quite a bit. And I think it's um it gets a bad rap for sure. Well, I I would say so two things. Yeah, it is weird that like I've heard these songs over and over again, and I've never like consciously made the connection that this is Steely Dan. I I'm sure that I heard that at some point, like hearing a song right. or reading something on like the radio comes up and somebody mentions, oh, that was Steely Dan reeling in the ears or whatever. But it just never, it was always kind of just in the background and never like connected with me. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, maybe I could have, if you would have, if you would have said, okay, here's the song, here's four artists, pick the one, maybe I could have gotten that, you know? Um, but um, the other thing I, I wanted to ask you, John, why, what about this is a guilty pleasure for you? What makes you say that? It's just, it's kind of like cotton candy a little bit. And it's mm-hmm. got that 70s production that's gleaming that yeah. I know turns off a certain type of music fan. It it has never turned me off because I, just in general, that 70s pristine, <laughs> maybe some would say too pristine production that comes here with the layering. I, I know for some people sounds artificial, but I have always enjoyed the fact that it has that glean to it, you know, there's just something about it. It's, um, yeah. and yeah, I, I think, and, and also that the fact that the songs in many people think are overplayed. Um, and I, I, there's just something for, it seems like you can only like Steely Dan ironically nowadays. Even people that say they like them almost say that it ironically, which kind of is interesting to me because I, I have two very good friends that that sing their praises up and down like you know and say how great they are intricate and you know musically like it's just they've like it's not ironic they love them like it will, will mm-hmm. die on that hill um i guess is it just not a cool ba- it's not a band that's like a cool band or a band that, it's kind of similar you know, to like jethro tull you know what i mean that if you like it, not like they have some of the same elements of 
jazz and and uh, prog rocky, and they're not the coolest bands. Um, they certainly weren't Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, or or on the you know catching a rainbow into you know, the future, or young, and you know, even just if you look at the guys in the band, you know they're just they're professional I, musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fagan and Becker are pretty like accomplished session players right too or or musicians in general so i think that's I, why they, I, they are only know that they are really accomplished songwriters i okay. don't 100 percent know i i'm sore with how they play their instruments yes well, it'd be shocking I, to me if they weren't like a session player I, I would also have to say i don't i don't hear jethro tull in this at all I, like that's yeah, no 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 i i'm saying in terms of being uncool oh you know what I'm saying? Like that's like you know, yeah. you kind of say that you like Jethro Tull. Would Jethro Tull have been cool if they didn't have the flute? Is that what it was, or was it the medieval? <laughs> it certainly like... didn't help their coolness. <laughs> you know. Um, and, well, and... I, yeah, I think when you're you're talking about the musicality too, that or the complexity, it does lean towards that spectrum, that side of the spectrum of those those prog rock musicians that we've talked well, about in terms of like complexity or or well. Importance. Let's be let's be honest. If you're driving in a car, right, and you're trying to impress people, you know, like if you put you know, Steely Dan on, right, it's not gonna blow you away and say yeah. Led Zeppelin or even Pink Pink Floyd. You get the ooh, you know, you're kind of you're not gonna get the devil horns this, or the, yeah. you know Sabbath. It's kind of like ooh, you know, there's something going on with it. or Zeppelin. It's kind of like mainstream and you know you know even other bands during that era. You know when you you know all I could think of is like you know in a Time. you know just even hearing yourself like playing that yeah. you know like it there's nothing cool about it but that doesn't mean that when you're by yourself you wouldn't sing it right <laughs> and so that's what i say about steely dan like you wouldn't necessarily sing it in front of other people because you'd be <laughs> like oh am i allowed but then when you're in the car by yourself you know you, you yeah you know you would very easily it's sing, like that you know, like i'm a fool to do your dirty work oh no you know it's like, like just think about it. think about driving in a car and like yeah. Like it's, like putting that that in, in, yeah. it's like that scene in Tommy Boy where they're like, I could, you know, you can yes, exactly. Yes, I could take it if you can. Suits you, okay. <laughs> well, and and once again, what does seven that seventies mainstream rock slash pop have? It's that really polished production, and it's yep. different than the polished production of the eighties, right? The eighties polished production is like the Phil Collins production or the Michael Jackson production. It's got its or, – or even like the one-hit wonders with the, the synths and stuff. But those are much production. more synthetic. It seems yeah, like synthetic, much more synthetic exactly. in the 80s yep. and the 70s, I would say. Whereas yeah. in the 70s, it's about going in and having like a certain sound that sounds like nothing is – nothing is – I mean, and let's be honest. That's kind of where punk came from, right, was the idea of uh, it's too – clean you know i want what's well, a jazz it's a jazzier sound like the guitar sound in here is kind of like mm -hmm. a jazz guitar you know like but it's the, a like... really neat jazz <laughs> not, well yes you know. right yeah, yeah yeah it's not it's not the miles davis bitches brew jazz you know jazz guitar but this is like the if you go to brunch like uh, you know like a jazz brunch or something and the guitar guys play and it, that's the tone it's like this crisp you know zero edge zero distortion just very mm -hmm. clean guitar sound and that's i would say it's a jazzier sound in that regard mm -hmm. too yeah, that's it's it's pop rock, you know. Yeah. It's and that's it's good pop rock though. Yeah, I feel like this is a band that Eric Calderon liked too. I may I may be wrong about that. Oh really? He seemed like our he old was roommate. Into the, yeah, big into the seventies, seventies pop. Sound. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, when you do the uh, when you do the web page of shared stories from Matt and Josh, you could put up a story, and perhaps. You <laughs> oh, there's plenty more that him. came from. But no, we'll I feel see. Like, We'll get more with, with Steely Dan when we do, because uh, we'll be covering Asia. So that'll be it. We'll do you more know, of a bio on that at that Well, time. and we're going to get to a lot of bands, you know, like the Eagles that have that polished sound and 
Boston, and we won't probably cover Air Supply and bands like that, but they have have it. And then there's other bands that go into other genres that have the same polished sound. Like I always think like 38 Special, right, is a band that like does Leonard Skinner, but like if you did it as AOR, right, right. <laughs> did songs. Right. And so there's a lot of those bands that are coming up that have that really clean uh, production um, to them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All of the Steely Dan albums on All Music are like five stars by oh, the users and and the critics. That's hilarious. Yeah, well, I think they're they a band have with like a cool following. Yeah. yeah, I think that yeah, they have a big following. Yeah, and they have yeah. like uh, three albums in between this one and uh, oh no, four albums between this and Asia. Okay, so they must have. I wonder what their yeah. We'll if see. Sound we'll see how it goes. Like John said. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised did, how much uh, I like this. What was, wasn't one called like pretzel something? Yeah, I remember my dad logic. having that pretzel logic. There, yeah, I remember does my your dad, dad having like that Steely one. Dan? He does. He, it's not like a favorite band, but I can right. remember it, like Al. Like I, I remember pre, they have terrible album covers. This one's an awful <laughs> yeah. album cover. Yeah, they it's, don't look very good. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I just know there's a big set of like pink lips on it, and it looks like something that looks like a mar. Like yeah, I can never tell if it's like a market or like a like a like a high school set of lockers. It's just an awful. Album or like cover. a street, I think, like a street. I, yeah, I, it's just it's one of the worst <laughs> album covers ever. I know that, and I remember seeing it in my dad's collection. I also remember the Pretzel Logic. You said they, yeah. uh, God, the other. Oh, now I'm being put on the, the spot. Uh, the, uh, there's another album that's like somebody's name. Katie Lied. Katie Lied. There <laughs> yeah, you go. That's, that's the one right. after yeah. Pretzel. Oh, Katie Lied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. not good either. Is that a I Grasshopper? Think- <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all terrible album covers. That's what I. One of the things I first remembered as a kid, like eleven, you know, peruse when I first started looking at my dad's albums, right? And you're like, "Ooh, which ones do I want to listen to?" Frampton Comes Alive looks interesting. Let me, you know, listen to that one. You know, oh, Dark Side of the Moon, that looks interesting. You know, but Steely Dan can't buy a thrill was low on that list. Or that I think it might have even one. gotten. I think I might have even like wanted to listen to it, but in the way that it's like, "Ooh, this could be, this could be a." And so, like, even 11 or 12-year-old me knew that wasn't a cool album cover. So there you go, right? I think that might be their worst one. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at all these. Can't buy a thrill? Yeah. That might be the worst, worst Yeah, you can post. Cover. You can post it on Twitter. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I think uh, we've covered that. But once again, it sounds like it's three recommends, which I think shocked Matt. It did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was <laughs> to his core. I was wrong on this this on this album. But Boy, are we going to see a second? Are we going to see two mea culpas later? We only, might. Only time will tell. Um, well, we don't have to have a mea, mea culpa here because we're about to do Aretha Franklin, Young, Gifted, and Black. Uh, this is our third Aretha Franklin album. Uh, we in full length form with bios before d- did um, Lady Soul and. I've never loved a man like I love you. I always have to make sure I say that very slowly um, because it's a lot of words there. Matt, what are the numbers? All right. So Young, Gifted, and Black is 388 on Rolling Stone's list. Um, In Best Ever Albums, it's number 581 in the 1970s, number 56 in 1972, and 3,158 of all time. It is uh, Aretha Franklin's fourth highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. There's also Aretha Now which is on here uh, from 1968. That's number three. Um, so I don't think we're going to do that one. We've, we're, not, we're out of the 60s. So, um, yeah. So there you go. There we go. Um, I guess I start this one, don't you I? You do. So yep. I'll go ahead and, and start the 15 minutes. And let me say that this is a very different Aretha that we find here in the early 70s than the Aretha that we listened to in the 60s, I think. This is, yes, to me, this... <laughs> 
to me, this sounds like a, a more mature Aretha. This sounds like an Aretha that instead of singing songs and making them her own with just her voice, she's singing songs where maybe the lyrical content in some cases lines up a little bit more with things that are bigger than just traditional love songs or love lost songs. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of songs like that um, on the album as well, but songs like Young Gifted in Black and um, April Fools are definitely songs that go into different um, uh, areas as well. There's still the there's there's some interesting covers here, aren't they? There mm, yeah. and uh, Long and Winding Road for I mean it's the obvious one that jumps off. Um, I think Border Song. I, I know that is an Elton John song. Um, so yeah, hmm. I, I think Bernie Taupin might have written that song if I remember correctly. But I recognize that. I don't know if if he wrote it for it and then Elton John did it later, or if it was Elton. I mean, because Elton John was out right around the same time, right? I think this was. Daniel or your song Elton John right 72 like very first Elton John if I remember I know, correctly I, yeah I think it's on his first album um yeah so I don't, I'm not sure what year that was though yeah I, I always think of that as the your song album right your song and Daniel are the two early Elton John songs I think of but yeah there's that that I recognize there and uh I I've been loving you too long I've heard Otis Redding do that before right. so um and I feel like there's one other cover, but it's escaping me right now. But uh, then a song like First Snow in Kokomo is a really interesting use of Aretha Franklin's voice, too. But the I'm going to kick it to you guys in a second. But the, the biggest thing is that this is a very different sounding singer. Now, her voice is still incredible, and she still owns these songs like she did in the 60s. But I, I feel that she's more performer here than she artist here maybe is the best way I'm looking at it than just a singer right she's transcending that now and she's she's going to another level I like the material here a little bit better too and the song craft as well I liked both of those first two albums and probably I would even say there were more tracks that I really liked on those albums but interestingly enough even though that was the case I liked the totality of this album better than I like those other two albums. It's mm. a different feel. It's a it's an updated Aretha Franklin for the 70s. I didn't like this album as much. I think the I think the covers were not as good as the originals and kind of threw me off as well. I think the Otis Redding, I mean even though she she took his respect and and made it better. I I've been loving you too long as better as an Otis uh, cover or original in my opinion um, I did like her I would guess that Rock Steady it was probably a single off of this album that was kind of like a proto like disco song almost in a way or or like a funk song I really like that one that was danceable and I think uh, Young Gifted and Black was also really great but overall I, th I think I liked her earlier albums more I feel like her <sighs> I don't know her voice was almost more powerful then or she was putting more energy into it or something and I and I think she still has the strong voice here and she still is able to switch genres really well she because she has you know she covers the soul here I think she's got some gospel stuff in here or gospel inflected songs and then you still have the the R&B as well but for some reason this didn't this didn't come together for me as a whole overall. Hmm. Um, You're the tiebreaker, Matt. I think I'm. I think, I'm, 
I think I'm falling in the middle of you guys. Okay, like okay. I, I definitely liked it more than Josh. I don't think I liked it as much as John. Um, and again, it's it's harder for me on one list. And one of the right. main, a couple of the main things I got out of this, the, the the main difference between this and the other two that we covered, this does sound more '70s. You you've got more of that '70s production. You've got some wah wah, you know, guitar sounds. You've got that more of the orchestration, which um, I think in several songs made me go, okay, I'm in the strings. You know, I'm like this this is a more '70s sounding record. Um, Again, not to its detriment, just like a, just pointing out that difference there. So it's kind of going along with the times a little bit. Um, I hear a lot of gospel in here, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it to me, a number of these songs just seem like, especially the slower ones where she's got the back background singers. It sounds like she's almost like the preacher in the pulpit, and then you can just hear the the mm-hmm. other singers are behind her in the robes doing the, you know, some of the hand claps and doing the background stuff. Um, and uh, and that's still much. I was I remember hearing that a lot in her first two records as well. Um, so I don't I don't know if I want to go so quite so far as to say this is maybe the topics are more mature, like lyrically, uh, mm-hmm. musically. Again, I, aside from that that production, that seven it's got more of the seventies layering production. I I, I can't say that this is. Um, terribly different from one listen um i think her vocals are still just as strong there's there's plenty of parts here where she's she's going off and she's feeling it and she draws you right in with her with her voice she's not losing a step there at all um and uh you know and so i i liked it you know it's a very enjoyable listen but retha's not a hard it's not hard to listen to retha franklin records you know even if it's not your typical you know, um, genre, which it's not for me, like gospel, R&B, that type of thing, you know, uh, funk, there's some funk. I I agree. I think Rocksteady was a fantastic, I heard that one right away. That's a, if that wasn't a single, it should have been, um, Mm -hmm. because that was something that got me right away. Um, And the, what it is, what it is, I know that's been sampled somewhere. I don't remember where it's one of those things. I'm like, I know I've heard that before um, in that exact kind of tone. But uh, a couple other things, Oh Me, Oh My, I'm a Fool for You. That's the opening track. I knew that as a Buster Poindexter song. Oh my God. Um, Josh, do you know who Buster Poindexter is? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Do you want me? Do no, but who is he in, in real life? Oh, um, no, I don't know that. Oh, you don't? John, you know who this, you know this right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, I, yes, I know. David I know. Johansson from David New Johansson. York Dolls. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so my, that's one of the yeah. five albums that my dad had when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> with the weirdest. My dad's got the weirdest that album collection. He had so Buster much. Poindexter. Yeah. Hot, so, hot, hot, uh, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so hot, different hot. than New York Dolls, too. So yes, different. Yes. Um, but but he, does a, he does a cover of that on that record. So I was like, oh, I know this. Um, and, and hats off to Aretha Franklin for making the long and winding, long and winding road a good song for me to listen it's to. I like 70 it a, times better than yeah, the version I don't, Let It Be. Josh, I don't know if you included that in your list of songs that you'd like the originals better, but I if that if this is in there, I totally disagree because this sounds much better than um than the the, the schlock of McCartney's version on Let It Be. Um, well, it's more stripped down, that's for sure. But it's just it's more interesting, you know. It's yeah. it's got more of it's got a pulse to it. Um so uh but yes, overall I liked it. Um again, you know, kind of blending together. I don't think she's traveling too far outside of her lane. Um but I, I liked it. I can't say that I liked it any better than better, or worse than the other two. Probably I, I can't. I can't say I like it better than the other two, just because I was more. I'm more familiar with those other ones, and they have some of those classic songs. Um, and top to bottom, I don't remember. Um, I think one of them actually made my. Um, I think Lady Soul was in my was my top ten. So, uh, I, you know, so this probably isn't going to get there, but it's close enough. It's very good. It's Aretha Franklin, and you should listen to it. So that's my take. Mm-hmm. I I would say that one of the reasons I like this better is because. With Aretha Franklin's voice in the '60s, it was 
it was like a it's a weapon that's coming right at you. It was always intense, right? I like it mm-hmm. better here used as a a weapon selectively. Uh, there were songs where she built it like you know she could. There were songs where she escalated, but there were also songs where she down-tempoed it and, like you said, Matt, went into a gospel approach. And I actually like that because it gives – for me, it gives the album more emotional resonance, whereas mm-hmm. the other could kind of just be – you. You weren't connecting as much because you were listening to it as just a manifestation of her singing voice. Kind of like, um, you know, early Mariah Carey, right? When she was just this great voice, but not, you know, sometimes the songs, you didn't feel them like you did maybe later. And she kind of added that or in some of the songs. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Mariah Carey's work. Um, but in in some ways, it's kind of like how Whitney Houston really became the biggest version of herself when she did breathier songs and songs, different types of songs, as opposed to just the soaring voice version. And I, I felt that way too. And and like you said, Matt, these, these songs just seem to be a better fit for her as if she picked them, as opposed to people saying, here, Aretha, here's some songs. I want you to go sing the hell out of them. Uh, that's the, the vibe I got from this a little bit more. I, yeah, I mean, I would say that 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 the ebb and flow, right, of, of of an album that she doesn't just do. She's not belting every song. It's not this powerhouse, upbeat song all the way through. And that's what makes albums more interesting is when you can kind of do a couple songs like that, bring it down, you know, bring it back up again, and kind of you know have that kind of uh, feel back and forth. Uh, yeah, and it's hard. I, I'm trying to remember right now. Like, I I, don't, I I'm sure that she had some, she had some slower, like more moderately tempoed songs in her previous records, didn't she? Or do you, do you feel yeah. like this was just she she you... did, but it wasn't just the tempo. It was how mm-hmm. she used her voice, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and, and we're going to be doing a lot more R&B, Matt, in the near future. And we're going to be doing Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Isley Brothers, which is going to be awesome. And mm. one of the things I really kind of want to do is see which ones you like and which ones don't resonate with you. Because some, to me, there are certain ones that that have one or two tricks and they do them really well, but they have one or two tricks that they do really well. And then there's others that have a variety of tricks. And for me, they might not do every one of them perfect, but they've just got a lot of tricks. And for me, those are always the R&B soul singers that I love the best, the ones that have a bunch of different tricks. I yeah. think this is where Aretha Franklin showed more of her tricks. Okay. And hmm. I, I, yeah, I like that. About yeah, there's it. definitely, yeah, I could see what you're saying by that. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting, you know, is it because I, 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 I know all these artists. I just don't know a ton of their stuff. So uh, it'll be interesting to to explore their catalogs, if you will. Um, but, yeah, this is it's this is this is great. You're getting a little bit of a, a bachelor's degree in, in R&B and soul here, aren't you, Matt? With Aretha Franklin, yeah. Nina Simone, Al Green, all kinds of funk and soul. I'm getting some you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say you're going to be pretty polished by the end of this, even if your take on Otis Redding was terrible. <laughs> yeah, so. I know. Yeah, I stand so, by it though. Maybe you should go back and listen to that. We should do a contest where you have to go back and listen to an album you hated. Worst audience, yeah. worst take of any of us. I, I already know we, what mine would be based on the feedback on YouTube. Based on the feedback on YouTube, I already know the answer to that question for me. But we'll save that for another time. So. Well, I I in my I never said that he was bad or like I just didn't i it was fine it just wasn't this ground earth shattering album and i like the the covers or the other versions of a lot of those songs better than what he did so i stand by that i don't, I don't i'd change probably that. have to re-listen to abbey road or Derek and the dominoes i think off the top of my head oh because it's, you because your original was like eh yeah yeah, yeah. i got enough. you got 
I've got a couple of my own that YouTube in particular really likes to call me out on. More recently, oh, Pink geez. Floyd Metal. Some people were very upset. Oh, people mad at you, John? That. Oh, damn. Oh, they were definitely upset at, at some of my takes, but, you know. It's okay. I'd like to say I'll revisit them, but I won't. So, you know what? Yeah. I'm sure that some of those people would give takes, and we'd all be like, that was a terrible take on that. Like, we all, yeah, we all get well, there, no one, you know? No one can all. accuse us of being overly... Uh, positive in order to get the views, right? Because if we were, we would just put the honey in the nectar. So, all right. With that being said, I think that uh, ends Young, Gifted, and Black for us by Aretha Franklin. And uh, we're going to see you again as you listen. Uh, You'll be listening to us on the Wednesday version of our Cold List and Hot Takes. Are you ready for the sounds of Jamaica, man? Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have some Jimmy Cliff. Uh, Jimmy Cliff pre-Bob Marley. Uh, we're we're going reggae. We're going ska. We're going reggaeton. We're doing all kinds of island sounds. Um, I will be very very interested to hear everybody's take on this album. But before we get into that and start the fifteen minutes, Matt, will you fill us in on where the harder they come, which is an original motion picture soundtrack, comes in? I would love to, and I'm not going to try to attempt to do a Jamaican accent because just it won't, dude. It will not. I'll I'll <laughs> screw it up. Big time. Um, so in the uh, 1970s, according to Best Ever Albums, this comes in at number 290. Uh, and number 29 in 1972, 1,387 of all time. And on uh, Rolling Stone's list, it's a hot 174. Mm. Fairly highly regarded album in the new Rolling Stone uh, issue. So, uh, yeah, that's why we're covering it, basically. So Nice. There we go. Well, let's go ahead and slap some time up on the board and slap it over to Josh, who's going to be our first uh, hot take read here. Josh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, probably no surprise to you guys, but I really like this album. And I did watch the movie in conjunction with uh, oh. the soundtrack. So that was mm-hmm. that gave me a little added context. And I watched. And you, had, little... not, and you had not seen it before, right? So I had that not was seen a... it before. Yeah. That was I a have... cold watch. That was yes. a cold watch. Hot take well, on the yep. movie. <laughs> and right. I have not seen the movie, but the cover of the album, which theoretically should tell me something about the movie, is pretty phenomenal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is very uh, colorful. And, and that is a pose that Jimmy Cliff makes at one point in the movie. Oh, nice. And um, so, yeah, I got some added context from that and watched a little, uh, watched the making of that was that was on there and kind of the history of this uh, they gave a little bit of history of this album and but first my thoughts on on the album um like we alluded to this this is basically a a compilation of of reggae artists of various sorts it's not just jimmy cliff although he kind of bookends the album to a certain extent or he's peppered throughout and i've heard many of these songs before either by covers or just from being in listening to reggae and yeah there it's it's all like classic reggae stuff right we've got uh toots and the maytals on here we've got um well jimmy cliff and then we've got uh who else um uh, desmond decker Decker, yeah and the melodians they're also famous and many others so this really just kind of captures, I think, the feel of Jamaica. And the most important thing about this album that I learned is it basically introduced reggae to the world uh, before this mm-hmm. album um, and the movie, too, um, which was a big like cult classic on on like college uh, college circuit 
and and in theaters you know everywhere um that that was people's first time exposure to reggae so i i totally get why this would kind of be a groundbreaking thing if you had never heard reggae before which is kind of wild to think that it wasn't just always there in the way that like jazz was or or any other you know seminal genre or musical genre um and so you get the best of it here. Um, I really like Jimmy Cliff's voice. He has a really smooth voice. And you get all of the classic reggae sounds here um, with the guitars and kind of the, the, the way they drums and the syncopation and rhythm that they use. Um, you've got some horns in this. And it, it really just captures the feel of reggae and what they were trying to accomplish. And, and also the feel of the movie as a as a added benefit or result of listening to the soundtrack the um the other thing about reggae that comes across in this album is the biblical influence um in many of the songs you just have straight up uh, kind of reggae songs talking about things from the bible or uh jesus or being more spiritual which kind of uh plays into the Rastafarian nature of of reggae and, and Jamaica itself. And the other thing that w- came across is also kind of the crime element of of reggae or like the rude boy culture and which are, you know, basically like Jamaican gangsters for um, and organized crime, which also is um, a, a big element, a plot element of of the movie. So I think it does a really good job of, of capturing reggae, and I think it does a really good job. Um, it's a really great soundtrack as a result, too. And it's a perfect introduction to reggae if you have not gone deep on, into that or, or are looking to try something different. Can't um, disagree. Matt, what are your thoughts? Okay, so uh, now I know where Vanilla Ice's Stop That Train comes from. <laughs> yes. Right? That was an example. No, Track number two, draw your brakes. Uh, I, I, I assumed that Mr. Ice wrote that himself, but apparently you not. You couldn't have possibly thought that he really <laughs> did, did you? You had I to. Thought, well, he, John, he wrote, he wrote, you know, Ice Ice Baby, which mm-hmm. you know some say was similar to Queen, but he adds that <laughs> extra note in there, which makes it totally different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, so that was the only thing that was somewhat recognizable on this so i unlike josh i didn't know any of these songs um mm-hmm. and i do like this i like reggae um despite my hatred of of ska yeah um <laughs> which is is a, i mean they're cousins basically right i mean it's right. a very similar type of uh musical genre and i was thinking about this a lot as i listened to it because i mean and i would say that i wouldn't say that all of this is ska there were two songs that stood out in particular that were to me decidedly not ska and that were many rivers to cross the fourth track um more of like an r&b kind of ballad song mm-hmm. that to me I, it didn't really seem ska and uh track number 10 sitting in limbo um which is kind of more of a blues blues rock song um which was fine right like i i don't, I don't need this whole album to be reggae oh. yeah so it's, it's it's very interesting because i was trying to think about this like, why do I like this? Why do I not like the ska? And it's, you know, I, I guess there's not, I would say that, first of all, there's not as much horns in here. And that's one of the things about ska, just the way that they use the horns, I don't particularly like. Uh, and the speed, right? Ska is just a lot faster. And, you know, even though there's some kind of more upbeat songs on here, I like the slower, mellowed out version of this um, type of uh, sound 
more than I do when they do it in ska and it's just upbeat. Um, and I don't really know how else to explain it. It's just like a personal preference. This to me is, this is great summer beach music. You know, this is stuff that you play like, you know, in a convertible driving down the, you know, the bull A1A, you know, right by the beach mm -hmm. and stuff, or, um, you know, just hanging out at the beach. Um, you know, this is great summer music to me. Um, I like some of the production. The, uh, there's one part in here where it's really, it's 007 Shantytown. It's got this really low-fi production, mm -hmm. which I like. And I've, I've seen it, it's kind of peppered in other areas in this. Really with that track, um, it's, it's like someone that just, you know, did that song in their garage or something with like a two track you know kind of like really archaic uh you know production equipment that they had there but um but just great music i wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention to the lyrics surprise surprise but just musically um it's 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 just it's, it's a nice listen and i would probably agree with josh this does seem like it's a good intro to reggae um and as someone that's really only familiar with reggae and you know listening to bob marley which is really the only real reggae right. artist that i know um or i can pick out songs like oh that's bob marley you know i um i did enjoy this and um i would i would recommend this album for sure uh it does get it does blend a little bit together for me you know towards the end it's i think it's roughly like a 40 minute album and um yeah kind of it's it's you know at times it's hard to differentiate differentiate one song from the next but um but I didn't feel I didn't feel like um, it overstayed its welcome or anything like that. I felt like it was probably a good length, maybe a little a tad too long, but not not it wasn't anything that really like marked it down a notch at all for me. So um, yeah, it's interesting. I like reggae. Uh, it uh, maybe I can be try to be a little bit more open minded. I think we, we're probably covering Scott at some point, so we'll see how I how I do with that. But um, but uh, it didn't surprise me as soon as I was like, okay, this is going to be reggae. I didn't expect to dislike it, and um, and I didn't. So this is yeah, it's great summer music. So uh, thumbs up for me. Okay, Matt, there's a lot I have to address in your segment oh, right there. Oh, all right, okay. Some, so, so number one, this is, I disagree that this album was samey. In fact, one of the things that stood mm. out to me was how yeah. very different it was. There's okay. Calypso. There's what, there's what, you kept saying, Scott, there's one song that I would put as first wave ska. That's the Desmond Decker song, which absolutely makes sense because Desmond Decker was one of the seminal artists of first wave ska. 007 Shantytown is kind of, you know, when you get any first wave ska compilation, you're going to get Prince Buster, you're going to get the ska delights, you're going to get Desmond Decker, and there's going to be overlap. It's a very distinct sound. One thing I want to say is the first wave of ska did not start to become fast with that uptick beat until the yeah. very end of it. So a lot of what you may be thinking of as ska, Matt, is second wave ska yes. and probably even more so third wave ska. But it's so from that end of things, there's way more of an overlap um, with first wave ska and reggae and ska than it is at any other time yeah so and i, I would, did and yeah. i did like that song so um mm -hmm. and i think I, I i seem to remember now that you're bringing it up about like the differences of the waves and um i probably first wave ska is something that i would probably like so yes the stuff that i am not so here's, into it's probably two and three i would well agree. here's a and and you know we were going to get into this later when we do that but the first wave of ska is always associated with jamaica the second wave is always great britain because it was a revival of ska that brought back the jamaican artists and the third was more of an american phenomenon so that's kind of where it came from there the interesting thing about this was there were some songs on this by jimmy cliff who you know i know plenty of jimmy cliff and i think even if you don't think you know jimmy cliff you know i can see clearly now so you know jimmy cliff whether you oh. realize you know him or not so it's a happy yeah. song so there you go so you as i said you're a perfect example there matt you proved my you know <laughs> thing right there um but 
what I noticed was a lot of the Jimmy Cliff songs would not have been out of place being sung by like Tony Orlando and Dawn and the Partridge family. You know, they're better, but they're that real, they're very um, pop sensible songs. Mm -hmm. um, it's really not until you get into the other artists that are on the outskirts of it that you start to get like a more standard issue reggae. Um, in the song, you know, the Melodians and um, Toots and the Maytals and the Slickers. I mean, that's the stuff that's going to be a lot more what's recognizable as, you know, the reggae you may think. Um, and, and as Josh said, it's almost impossible to not get elements of the rude boy culture in the lyrics of these songs. Pretty much everything is about growing up hard, right? You know, the, the threat and the appeal of crime culture. Right, hence the rude yeah. boy, and then the rude boy sort of gets reimagined in later reggae and second wave ska, um, in terms of the pork pie hats and the suits and stuff like that. But in this case, the rude boy has a different look in terms mm. of what it looks like in first wave ska. And then Bob Marley took the 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 image of what a reggae singer was supposed to look like and sort of morphed it away from that rude boy culture as well, you know, into a different era, sort of more you know, I think a lot of people think like drug culture more so than they think of like crime mm -hmm. culture, right? Yeah, and that's an interesting so. thing because I think that, you know, where most people think of reggae isn't necessarily where reggae was at at this spot. But this mm. was a really fun listen. It, um, it flew by. I love the fact, it, it felt like one of those compilation discs, Josh, that you would buy of just oh, yeah. reggae artists or ska artists where you just get introduced to like 15 different bands. And, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, I think it's, is it seven different artists? You got Jimmy Cliff, Scotty, the Melodians, Toots and the Maytals, the Slickers, Desmond Decker. Yeah, it's that's like six, six or seven. Right, six, yeah. So so you're getting like a compilation feel right there. Um, I think this is also the only album where the last track is repeated <laughs> pretty much. Right. The, hardest, the last two tracks the are, aren't they? Yeah, but yeah. at least the you can't get it if you really want is a decidedly more, you know, reggae-ish, later reggae-ish version of it. It's almost like a heart uh, you know uh, uh sort of a it portends what's coming the harder they come is almost the exact same song yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. end and it would be one thing if it was the first song and the last song but the harder they come the first time comes in at um the six mark and then the harder they come at uh the second time comes in at the 12 mark to end the album yeah i double checked that to see if that was one of those things that was an added bonus for a later release and it's not it was on the no, original that... release those two were totally put just like that so uh yeah. it was done on purpose different too they're the timestamps are different, right? <laughs> and so there are small differences when I listen to it, but as I'm listening to it, I'm like, this is basically the same song, barely reworked at all. <laughs> so I'd be interested to see why that was done. And like I said, same thing, Matt. I I always check the run list to make sure I listen to the exact album, and I did see that it was on there twice. So I was like, I knew it wasn't the wrong yeah. thing, but it was fascinating to me. But yeah, there's there's a lot of standout tracks on this. Johnny Too Bad by The Slickers is an awesome song. Pressure Drops, a standard from right. toots and the my tall uh, that's, yeah, that's a good one 007 shantytown is it, there's not a early reggae or early ska compilation that's not going to have that and it's been covered a jillion times many rivers to cross has been covered a zillion times so there's all kinds of songs on the harder they come is a yeah. real famous song yeah, yeah the title so, track mm -hmm. is really good too mm -hmm. i mean jimmy cliff knows how to make some music i would say he sure does. There's a lot of melody. It's just it's um it's a great place to start if you want to hear early reggae and you want to hear reggae that doesn't 
sound exactly like the reggae that you may know if you've only listened to Bob Marley. Because I think yeah. for a lot of people, Bob Marley and reggae is totally synonymous and it's understandable. Yeah. He is the Beatles of that genre. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he's the only way to do reggae. Yeah. And I think sometimes he gets it gets buried under what it sounds like in different versions. And this yeah. is a uh, much less of a of a earth earth father, you know, <laughs> weed is from the earth, you know, liberation uh, reggae. And it's a different style. It's more of a from the culture reggae. Yeah. Yeah. Or everyone or maybe people think that like reggae started with Bob Marley, which is obviously mm-hmm. isn't the case. He's just the most famous one of the most Well, you know the ones. Bob Marley origin story, right? He was found by Desmond Decker, hmm. who said this guy's pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I bet you um, it's one of those things that I just don't, like I said, I, I have, I think I've gotten two Bar- Bob Marley albums. I got The Greatest Hits and I had Natty Dread, right? So that's yeah. like, and, mm-hmm. and then anything that I would hear on the radio. So it's certainly not a genre that I have a um, refined palette on. It's uh, So on one listen, yeah, to me, in that one listen, it was a little samey. But it's just one of those things that I would just need to listen more to. And probably upon repeated listens, I could, I you know, it's one, it makes sense. I'm like, oh, I, they're totally different, you know. But I just, it's, it's, it's kind of, there were a lot of similar elements to me on the one listen. Aside from those two tracks that I brought up that were, that didn't really sound reggae at all um and i don't i mean i don't know if you guys would disagree or if those are still songs considered that that are considered reggae or if they do actually deviate from the genre but to me it was pretty it was a pretty clear distinction with those two particular tracks sure. um so uh but uh yeah i just might need to listen to it more but like i said i didn't know any of these but i liked them all pretty much so I think it's really interesting that you think this sounded samey, but you listen mm-hmm. to the Marley albums because kind of the knock on Marley sometimes is that he sounds samey. I thought this I sounded d- much more varied than. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like I, Bob I, Marley too. But I he's, never he's said a that. Lot I, more, yeah. I never said that. I thought Bob Marley was not samey. I just, you know, okay. it's it's reggae. Again, it's a genre that it's kind of it stays to me. It stays in its lane, and there's not there's a lot of similar aspects what makes a reggae song a reggae song is a very fundamental thing and um it's very prominent so um yeah i i I'd never thought of it like that but i maybe bob marley i would feel is a little samey too so um i i just know his song i've heard his songs more often and um because of that familiarity i can pick out different parts and i could make distinctions but upon one listen here that's that's what i'm saying i would probably need to mm-hmm. listen to this a few more times to be able to be a little bit more um you know, uh, un- uh, to understand it a little bit better. So, I-, I found these songs really getting stuck in my head mm-hmm. throughout. Throughout. Oh, I- actually, I might. Th- I made a note of one of them. I felt like I was ready to sing along. Yeah. Like at the end of it, it was kind of like, yeah, that's I could. Yeah, like it's it's like a uh, a nice um, choral, like not chor like a chorus, but like you know, you could just see everybody kind of getting in on it at the end. Um, I would guess that would be either Rivers of Babylon or The Harder They Come, because those two are. Pressure drop is always the one I pressure sing drop too. too. Yep, mm-hmm. it was pressure drop. That was that yep. was the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that gets a full. Uh, you get a long clip of them oh, performing and, and, that in the movie. Actually, and Rivers of Babylon. I have that note there too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I heard. I definitely at the end upon hearing those songs once, I was like kind of you know singing yeah. at the end myself. So I agree with that. Well, and spoiler alert, I haven't made the montage yet, but it's going to include The Harder They Come is going to be because I want to pick a Jimmy Cliff song since it's technically right. his. So that's going to be what we hear. But there's all kinds of standards on this. If you want to get your learning on on reggae, this is a great place to start. It's also even a great place to start if you want to hear a little bit of, you know, what first waves, a little bit of what first wave ska sounded like. Yeah, um, yeah you can get that too. Josh, 
Josh, let's have it. We have two uh, two um, soundtracks on here. What's a better soundtrack, uh, the uh, Jimmy Cliff or the uh, Curtis Mayfield? Ooh, uh, I would say the Curtis Mayfield, in my opinion. Is that the better movie, too? Mm, yes, probably. Okay. It's. Uh, I mean, we can talk. We can talk about the movie some other time. It's. It's like. A whole thing. Also, in a, on a brighter <laughs> oh. note, Jimmy Cliff is still alive. So nice. Hey, he's, Josh uh, is giving us somebody that's alive. <laughs> right on. He's doing quite well. He's pretty young too. He's only seventy six. Oh wow! So he would have. Let's see. He was only in his thir- early thirties, I think, when in they the made early thirties when he made this. Okay, gotcha. Nice. He's probably got a ton of albums too, right? If that, I mean, he just seems like one of those guys that's like. I'm just guessing. I haven't looked up anything, but I'm sure he's he, he's probably yeah. still making music. He's you consistent. Know? I think. Yeah. He's- Output. I mean, reggae is designed to be played live. So it's, you know, if you're a live band, it's sort of like jam bands, you know, even if he's not recording new stuff, I'm sure yeah. he's active. Yeah. Mm. Right. So, okay. Well, uh, that's going to finish that one, I think. Jimmy Cliff, The Harder They Come. We all liked it. So check it out. First time in the reggae genre as well. So glad that we were able to overturn that mm-hmm. stone. And now we're going to overturn a stone for the second time because for the second straight cold list and hot take we are going to do a bill withers album and we did his first album just the way i am last time and now we're going to do still bill from a year later 1972 um uh, matt's going to start us off on this one but matt before you start us off why don't you go ahead and run the numbers on still bill so this is bill withers second highest rated album on best ever albums right behind just as i am which was another the other Bill Withers albums that we covered in a cold listen hot take. This comes in at number 707 in the 1970s, number 70 in 1972, and 3,949 3, overall. All this from best ever albums. And on Rolling Stones list, it comes in at number 333. And I will start off by saying that all of those rankings are way too low. <laughs> yeah. um, I love Bill Withers. Um, and I, you know, this he's somebody that I kind of just knew the hits or the stuff on the radio. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, full disclosure. I it's lean on me is such a, um, one of the tracks on this album is such a prevalent track. It's like one of those quintessential, um, songs. That's just always, it's out there with like, you know, stand by me, you know, it's just always, yeah. it's, it's always in the ether somewhere. Um, and I couldn't have, there's a trivia that question. Was... Who sings stand by me? Oh, not, not, <laughs> well, John Lennon covered it. I know that. Yeah. Um, is it Benny Beverly King. Brothers? No, Benny, Benny King. King. Uh, yep, Benny, Benny King. King. I didn't know that. There you go. And okay. you know what? I think I think I knew that because that was on one of those commercials for like a compilation CD where like they had all the artists going <laughs> oh, across yeah. the thing. And it was like, oh, Benny, your favorite like, hits. Yeah. Benny yeah. King sings Stand By Me. I didn't know that till this commercial came on. And um, then like Unchained Melody would come on after yeah. it by the Everly right. Brothers or something. Yes. Where, the, where so, they're sitting on the stools saying, oh, yeah. wasn't that a great song? <laughs> <laughs> was, it, uh, was it Freedom Rock? Turn it up, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so, Sorry about no, it's fine. And I I don't think it was I think John, you you let me know that Bill Withers did lean on me the last time we covered him because you brought that up. You're like, Oh, you guys <laughs> you all said, know that. Well you said something like, I'm not sure I know any Bill Withers. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you know Lean on Me. I know me, that so, yeah. I do know Lean on Me, but that's one of those things. It's just like, you know, these songs, there's all these songs out there that 
I totally know and I could sing the chorus or for mm-hmm. fair, maybe the whole song. And I'm just like, who sings that song? I don't know. I never, you know, that never was something that I knew. But anyway, so you have that classic on here, which is still a great song. It's, it, it's, it's, it's overplayed. It's, it's, it, they made a movie out of it with Morgan Freeman. I mean, that was like, you know, um, they but used to call me crazy Joe. Now they call me Batman. <laughs> we don't want a better teacher. We are a better principal. We want Mr. Clark. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's still a great song, right? I, I never get sick of that song, but he is so good. This was such a fun record to listen to. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different genres he's touching on. He's got the funk, the wah wah guitar. I love the drumming in here. This has got that 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 drumming style. It's kind of like a jazzy drumming style that does a lot of off beats, a lot of hi hat stuff, a lot of, and it kind of gets into the funky grooves. Um, and it's there's not a bad song on here, you know. Um, it it's uh. He's and he's such, such such a great singer, um, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think "Lean on Me" might be the only song. Oh, I've heard of "Use Me" before. That was the mm. other song. I, that's that, the other that, big single. Yeah, that intro. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. I've, I've I've certainly heard that before. I don't know where if it was on a movie or commercial or just in the on on, on the radio or whatever. But, um, but uh, you know, just throwing in a lot of things I love, like you know the hand claps. Who who is he? The third track he's got. He throws in the hand claps and the tambourine at the same yeah, time, which was a yeah. cool little percussion part mm-hmm. that he did. Um, and it's just a fun record. It's just a feel good, nice. Um, you know, again, I don't. You know, you're probably going to tell me that the lyrics are. Well, "Lean on Me" is obviously a very positive lyrical sound uh, song, but uh, you know maybe there's some negative stuff going on here. But it's it, but musically, this is just hitting on all cylinders for me. I really like Bill Withers, and like one of the his best songs isn't even on the two albums that we covered, which is "Lovely Day," which is just such a you know which is a, another fantastic song. So, uh, big thumbs up for me. Really glad we're covering these albums. I'm definitely going to be going back to them, uh, you know, uh, in, in the in the coming year, many years to come. But this is a great find, and um, you know, I think he's bridging a lot of these different genres and he's just doing it so well with a lot of confidence. I think we talked about that the last time, how he's kind of, a, you know, coming to the game a little older, a um, little more mature. And uh, and I did look this up a little bit. He kind of fell off. He stopped doing albums like after 1978 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't and I know he just died last year. Um, so I don't know what happened. We ne- we're not really covering a bio on him. So uh, I- I'm just it's, it's curious that he had such great music and. And and first of all, that it's rated so low because this is probably my favorite album that we've done this entire this this episode, mm-hmm. um, I th- I would say, and um, and the fact that it's ranked so low compared to so many other things, um, I I think is wrong. <laughs> yeah. So well, uh, right. y- yeah, that's that. So I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I um I know that I actually watched a bio on Bill Withers. I think I referenced that in the last um the last cold listen hot take. Mm-hmm. And he actually became disillusioned with the industry itself and voluntarily pulled away right. from it. That's, that's sort of what happened there. So if like, was that because he got screwed over from record companies or something I like that? I don't or? think it was that. I think it was more just the whole, the record industry is superficial type deal. And you kind of have to constantly be inauthentic in his mind. And uh. he's just like, cause he came to it late, right? He came from like a blue collar background right. and, and He's then from I West think Virginia, it, right? I think. you got it. And he just went in and, you know, would record songs on the side. And then he recorded his first album at 33. And I think it was just, you know, by the time he hit, you know, early 40s, he was like, all right, I'm done this. I don't want to play this game anymore. Mm. That seemed to be what I thought. I, I don't know if it was any, I don't know enough to know if it was any one specific thing, but that was sort of how that documentary made it sound. I, I think another thing that's fascinating about this is 
and I'm not, this is by no means a knock at all, but I think it's very interesting how well-known Al Green is and how comparatively less well-known Bill Withers is because did, did the Al Green album stand out as being so much more transcendent than these Bill Withers albums we covered to the point where just no. about, you know, Matt would know Al Green as, and he described him as, and rightfully so, an integral part of the soul scene, but you rarely ever he'll hear Bill Withers talked right. about that way. I don't get and, it. I don't get I like And I don't get it either. Green. Well, and that's kind of what my take is. It's no knock on Al Green, but this is the second straight really top tier album I've just listened to from Bill Withers. Um, and it's it's fantastic. The, the number one thing that comes out in this is the mood that he sings from. He just comes from a cooler than cool place, yeah. but not in the Isaac Hayes you know, playing it cool way more in just that he has a, yeah. a calmness and yeah. a coolness mm -hmm. and he writes loves. You said, are the lyrics sad? You know, Matt, I, it, not necessarily. Cause sometimes it's about being in a relationship and all going well and love being great. And sometimes it's about relationships ending and the relationships that come with that. And it's sad, but it's not, I'm devastated. Mm -hmm. Sad. It's right. more okay. reflective sad. Right. So it depends on whether you say, I don't want you on my mind, which is about no longer being in a relationship with someone and wanting to not, you know, remember that because of the hurt. Do you think that's like devastatingly sad or do you think that's part of the human experience? Yeah, Get what that, I'm saying? That yes. wisdom really comes through in his songwriting and kind of his mood as well. Mm -hmm. and, and even a song like Use Me, which you think would just be... It, it sounds like it would be a sex song, right? You know, use yeah. me and stuff like that, but it isn't real. I mean, it's in, it's kind of implied that that's one of the things that you can use him for, but in no way is it seedy. It's more use me in terms of, uh, uh, you know, take a lot from me. I'm willing to give as much to you. You know what I mean? And under that current is an element of sex, right? But it's also, you could tell it's more than just that. You know, it's just, it's about the whole all that goes into a relationship you have with someone who you also are having sex with. And it's got that awesome fucking, you know, baseline in it. Yes. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't even know what the progression is. I wish I could have done some research, yeah. but it just repeats that base signature. And it's just an awesome base. It's it was one of the easiest, well, what's going to be in our, you know, opening montage. Well, it's obviously going to be use me, yeah. you know, it's going to be that. So, um, and it's been covered. And the drumming's great. The, the, that offbeat oh, yeah. drumming again is, is very well, prominent his, there. I love that his, drumming. His drummer is the the session guy, the real famous session guy. Um, who's I think he's the guy who's the. Uh, actually, let me cheat and look at Wikipedia. So I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> also James Gadson, Ray Parker, Gadsen. Ray Parker Jr.'s on this album. Also, is he? Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. The yeah, Ghostbusters really? guy. Yeah, he plays the guitar. I think on this. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, but I know... It's a fun fact, Josh. Yeah, oh, I wait. definitely know James Gadsden's his drummer from that documentary, and also I know his sound, and he's a super famous session R&B drummer. Yeah. Wait, you Josh, did you lie? Yeah, he's on the Stevie Wonder album. Not oh, <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I, did, I thought I, Bill Withers was the guitarist on this album, so yeah. Yeah, I will yeah, check that right now, but... No, <laughs> no worries. Thanks. Pretty sure. I was All so this... excited to, to tell you guys that, that I forgot what that was. <laughs> we'll get there, well, don't worry. still impressive. I, still, I would have been just as impressed yeah. on that as you I You know what it is, stuff. John, too, about uh, the his writing? It's like he writes from a place where he's taken two, like, two steps back and he has perspective on it as opposed mm -hmm. to like, being in it. 
like yeah. a lot of the songwriting is. And I think also the fact that he wrote the songs is a big, big component to why they sound so personal. Absolutely. He just, he just sounds well, like a badass. Like he's just, you know, he, he knows what's up. You feel like that's a guy you could go talk to about stuff and he would just give you like great advice or he would just like, he's well, got like some sort of wisdom, you know? He, yeah. he literally has a song called take it all in and check it all out. So if yeah. you want, <laughs> if you want to kind of know like where he's coming from, but I, you know, here's where I like to draw comparisons too. And I love both of these songs, but think about a song like, I don't want you on my mind or what it's talking about. And a song like, um, without you, right. That we covered from Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen. And that's, yeah. there's a desperation and an urgency in the moment to that song. Like you're just, ravaged and wrecked it's raw right whereas i don't want you on my mind you could tell there were similar experiences but like josh said it's been processed it's still there but it comes from a spot where it's less emotional and it's the full picture at this mm-hmm. point it's a it's a emotional a cognitive a, a you know a, a systemic it's it's the whole thing and yeah that's a really interesting song musically too because I, mm-hmm. I picked up on it like there's there's some sort of off key or minor key thing going on that's it's it's a whatever decision choice that he made there you know musically it's not what you would think should fit there but it does like it it, it, it promotes it's like this minor kind of key thing going on and uh, I thought that that was interesting well, for that song as well and I'm gonna kick to Josh in a second but he's really good at that like lean on me has these as his soaring arrangement that goes with the idea of what lean on me is it's this transcendent song and it sounds anthemic because it's designed to be it's all encompassing whereas use me has a little bit of that funk that lets you know it's his sexed up song right and it's a little bit more outside the box um kissing my love is more whimsical because it's a song that is designed to be more whimsical like you said i don't want you on my it's hard to explain what even that song sounds like unlike some of the others but it definitely when you think about it as a breakup song and a processing a breakup song, the musical choice totally makes sense. So he almost scores his music in the way that the lyric and the mood of the album is supposed to sound. Lonely Town, Lonely Street is another one at the beginning that sounds sparse and desolate at times. More him and a guitar at times. So, yeah. yeah I, I don't want I, you I, on my mind at the end. is like jam, it's like a jam band song. He kind of, mm-hmm. they're doing like it, this end up blues, jam A little thing. bit bluesy yeah. too, I think. Yeah, I for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I no surprise. I really like this album as well. I think it's better than his first album. I'm surprised mm-hmm. it's not his number one ranked album on best ever albums. Frankly, I feel like he really gained a confidence after his first album coming in this album. He seems more unrestrained or or more confident in this album, and he's bringing in more elements. I guess I sound thinking back to that first album it sounds like he it was more in kind of the singer songwriter at the piano type of mode and this he's like bringing in a lot more uh, funk and soul elements he's bringing in all the awesome bass lines which are through not just on use me but throughout the entire album and and then he peppers in the different things like matt said with the tambourine and then there's horns on feels uh, on mm-hmm. another day he's got a really awesome i can't like I can't sing it, but he said, think about that. He says it at a, like the lyric, like in the chorus or something. It's just like a great use and interesting way that he sings the lyrics in that. And to me, uh, this album is really impressive. Um, like we've said, his songwriting is really on point. I think he was just kind of really masterful at, at arranging and working with the other musicians 
through what we hear and the way that he cobbles the songs together and and then he just has he just has good twists on on classic genre or tropes of you know with with the use me which is about a breakup or a bad relationship and it just feels very fresh and even listening to to lean on me in the context of this album that Mm. felt fresh to me listening to it with all of his other songs Mm. even though you've heard that song you know many times yeah on its own so yeah i thought this was great um yeah i think we did a good job of summing up yeah i think I think one of the things I really appreciate about the fact that we do these cold lists and hot takes, and I have to give a shout out here to the Rolling Stone list as well, is they are doing a great job of unearthing stuff that absolutely, you know, whether it be the Jimmy Cliff album we just did, whether it be, you know, Steely Dan, which was unrepresented outside of Asia, you know, and then you kind of can't really tell the story of the 70s without a couple Steely Dan albums, you know, and then we're going to talk later, but some bands that no matter how you feel about them or artists, you know, Rod Stewart that we did before, you know, the Eagles, you know, it's hard to tell the story of music without some of these groups. And I'm glad we're covering them because yeah. I think it would be very incomplete if we weren't touching on some of these. Acts. Yeah. Yeah. This album being seven Oh seven in the 1970s on best ever albums is, yeah, no is criminal. <laughs> like it's well, not it also like... goes back to what I was saying about, there was a period in time where rock critics were just not paying attention oh. to all but specifically endorsed yeah. black artists and specifically endorsed female artists. And it was like there was an allotment and a quota of how many you were allowed to say were the ones, right, that were good. And then you just ignored everything that wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's been a big surprise. That's been a big good discovery. I, I so don't far. think I'm terribly – because all the songs that I did know I really liked, but – um that was like a handful. That's like four, maybe five songs. And mm. so it's really nice to have all these other ones to compliment them because um, they're all excellent. He's he's a phenomenal artist. Um, so, uh, yeah, big thumbs up. Can't recommend it enough. Nice. Any final thoughts, Josh? Or... Mm, no, I'm just nodding my head in agreement. <laughs> he's thinking. He's, <laughs> got it. It's coming across <laughs> subliminally to our fans. Mm. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Oh, hey, we've still got two more albums, guys. And we do. Probably the, along with the Steely Dan one, probably the one I, I am most looking forward to, not because of quality of album or anything, but just because I think this has a chance to be a very interesting segment. We are going to cover the Eagles' self-titled debut album, The Eagles. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to start us off on this one. But before I do that, Matt, please run the numbers for us. So this is actually the Eagles' sixth highest ranked album on Best Ever Album. So there's five others ahead of this. Um <laughs> I don't know if we're covering all of those, but anyway, this is number 676 in the 1970s, number 68 in the year 1972, 3,805 of all time, and on Best Ever Albums, it's number 207, I'm sorry, on Rolling Stone, it's number 207 of all time, so the uh, Rolling Stone people liked this a heck of a lot more than the Best Ever Albums people did. Gotcha. Well... I mean, it doesn't take long for you to realize you listen to an Eagles album, does it? Because you get Take It Easy and Witchy Woman right off the bat. So when I think of, you know, Eagles songs, it's it's just a series of singles, right? It's it's Desperado, Hotel California, and of course, Witchy Woman and Take It Easy. I mean, to the point where the Eagles have become 
pop culture, right? You know, whether it be the Lebowski clip I put up about the Eagles, whether it be Seinfeld where yep. the Desperado and then yeah. Witchy Woman. <laughs> Witchy and woman. <laughs> I mean, so, so first off the bat, you've got that. Also, when you listen to this album, you hear the next 15 years of a certain type of music mm-hmm. and you realize yeah. that the Eagles were very much at the forefront of that. Sa- yep. I mentioned that Steely Dan was creating to some degree AOR and it is true yes. They were doing it in one way, and there's some overlap with what the Eagles are doing here, but the Eagles do that sort of, they kind of take that AOR sound and mix it with a little bit of Beach Boys, I think, like with their thematics and sort of the harmonies and the harmonizing and... Even the guitar sounds like the evolutionary Beach Boys, right? Like what the surf, it seems like surf music moving into the 70s, right? Maybe, like Maybe the attitude too. That's kind yeah. of... Well, they're very California. When I th- right. that's the first exactly. thing, not just because of Hotel California. It's the there's no more California band than the Eagles. I think right. really in, in in that way, and so that comes through. I never know what to think of the freaking Eagles because <laughs> I'm like decidedly in the middle on the Eagles. I do not love the Eagles. I don't hate the Eagles. Like, you know, it's like I like I can appreciate something like Take It Easy. It's like eating cotton candy. You know, it's it doesn't have a lot of substance, but at the same time, in the right moment, it can clip. I understand why people like it. It, you know, it certainly is not the worst thing in the world, but it's just sort of there. I The Eagles also feel like one of these bands that has always existed and will also <laughs> always exist. You know, I they also are one of those bands that's really interesting because in my age group, I don't know a lot of people that are huge Eagles fans, but also they've mm-hmm. sold seven batrillion copies of their albums. So yeah. It's, but yet somehow all critics and people who are in the music know always say they hate the Eagles, yet somehow they sold like 50 million albums of different stuff. So you have to wonder what the disconnect is there. So I, I am as befuddled after this album as I've always been with the Eagles because I don't even know what – this is the definition of what I call a, a, a 40 to 42 point album on my scale out of 60. It is in – it's dead middle, <laughs> league average middle. Um, it's, you know, you're going to know Take It Easy and Witchy Woman. You probably will know Peaceful, Easy Feeling because that's another one that gets played on, like, yep. you know, classic rock stations a lot. I've certainly heard Train train Leaves Here This Morning and Nightingale at different times, too. It's it's a certain sound that is the Eagles. It's that it's it's the two different singers, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, right, going back and forth, alter, often alternating track to track. I'm more of a Glenn Fry voice guy than a Don Henley voice guy in terms of Eagle songs. Hmm. We can argue about which one you like better. Um, there's the long guitar, you know, the elongated chords that I always think of like Taylor Hawkins being enamored with on that Foo Fighters. <laughs> Thing, oh yeah, you know where he goes and meets the Eagles. I forgot and rem- about that. And remember how just excited he is to to hear the like long guitar parts like played out, and it just that cracks me up. But it's it's all the pieces you'd expect from the Eagles, and so I'm going to defer to you guys. I'll talk a little bit more about what those pieces are if we don't get into it in your reviews. But yeah, very in the middle for me. Continue to befuddle me, the Eagles. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think it's a it's so it's so easy or cliche to kind of hate on the Eagles at this point, um, at least in my experience. And but like you said, I'm not sure who 
whose like favorite band is this other than people that were like into it when they first came out? I don't, I don't know. Um, I didn't discover anything new about the Eagles on this album that I, you know, that made me like them more. I think they're okay. I feel like I was really trying to think about them in the context of, of 72 and why this album was popular. And what I, my theory or hypothesis is that maybe it was a, and especially after watching that, um, the documentary series that we keep talking about, 1971, I think this is almost like a rebuke of all of the interesting music that was going on at the time or, or <laughs> the, the, um, the chaos that was happening in the world. I think people were, were kind of looking for something that was mm-hmm. palatable and like yeah. not, not, um, not offensive and not, um, just like relaxing type of enjoyable music. And I think the Eagles like deliver that. And, but as a result, I think they're kind of generic and I don't find them particularly interesting, even from song to song. I feel like they just kind of hit the same notes for me every time I I hear them. Um, like you said, all of the, the, um, singles on here, take it easy witchy woman peaceful i had heard before the other songs like chug all night that sounded like a weak ccr attempt to me um but also kind of like a party song and nightingale there's some country tinged uh things on this like train leaves here in the morning i think they're trying to do that i think because they're from california i get kind of like a like a southwest desert vibe sometimes from their songs like on um, Take the Devil, I heard that, um, maybe with the guitar too. Sometimes they do little interesting guitar solos or um, pleasurable guitar solos, like on that song. But, and Peaceful, man, I knew that song. I wasn't listening, looking at the track list when I was listening to this album. I knew that song in like the first three notes, probably. Matt, we were joking about that earlier. I, I don't know why I picked that up so fast, but. That's yeah, the song I, that's playing Lebowski when he's in the <laughs> cab, and he gets thrown out of the cab because he yeah. hates the fucking Eagles. <laughs> well, you but, know what's funny, too? Like, none of the Eagles are from California. Yeah. Like, Joe Walsh yeah. is from New Jersey, like, at, 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 by way is of the even, Midwest. Is he even in the Eagles at this point? Didn't he come in later on? Like, was he an original Eagle? You watched the documentary, didn't well, you? Well, he... No. Well, I mean, the oh. funny thing about none Joe Walsh is, oh, like, okay. people... People love Joe Walsh, but he's in like three of the ba- like he's in three of the exact same bands. He's in like Ringo's band, right, which is very generic. He's in the Eagles, which I always think of as being like very generic, and he's in the James Gang, another like to me very generic band. So like, mm-hmm. but I also know that like Pete Townsend and Eric Clapton love Joe Walsh, and they're like, oh, he's one of the few guitarists I listen to. So, I mean, and I saw how you know. Dave Grohl and stuff fanboyed out for him. So, I mean, I know there's got to be something too. I've just never really yeah, seen he, it, you know? He joined in 1975. So this is pretty, he, he replaced the guitarist Bernie Leiden. So yeah. I did look that up. So he, well, and you could tell because the guitar, the guitar parts aren't as, um, aren't as good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way I could put it. They aren't, it's the singing's better than maybe some of the later stuff, but yeah, the guitar parts are definitely not as prominent as later Eagles for sure. Yeah, they're good at harmonizing. Um, I think they are decent guitar players. I, I, some of the stuff is good on this album, um, but I just couldn't get into it. I don't like John. I don't hate it, but I, I, I thought Steely Dan was like way more interesting as a counterpoint to a 
which is a similar type of band, but they mm-hmm. have some they have some added element that I responded to more. Yeah. Matt, so what's your take? <laughs> so I um yeah so it's uh, piggybacking off of the whole Steely Dan thing. So those are two bands that Steely Dan and the Eagles are two bands that I have historically said that I've hated. Um, and uh, I was turned around a little bit on Steely Dan with the, the album that we covered today uh, with this episode. So the Eagles. So the the positives here. I all, I do <laughs> I, I do like I turned around on the Eagles. Too. No, I have no. I'm not going to go there. I, I do like Take It Easy. Um, uh, I, but you I don't hate always... him as much as you hate some of the other stuff that you've hated. I'm getting a feeling it's going to. Well, well, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I've always take it easy is a good song, um, and I believe Jackson Brown co-wrote that, um, which I've always yeah, said I think that you're I, right. I, a Jackson yep. Brown's a, and it does. It actually sounds like a Jackson Brown song. It sure does. So, you know, um, but that's a uh, that's a catchy song. It's got a great. Um, it does have that country thing. The thing I picked up on that song, which I never realized before, is the banjo. Like I was listening to the headphones. Oh, yeah. and there's a prominent banjo part in there that I was kind of like, ooh, I did not know about that. Um, and I kind of liked it. So um, I even like that song, I think, more. There's banjo and early bird, too, I noticed. Yeah, there's the ban- yeah. well, that's that's like a straight-up banjo yeah. song. But this is kind of a little bit more in the background, which ordinarily I'm listening to this on, you know, like, you know, it's in the background, it's on the radio, it's on a you know, TV show or whatever. Uh, and uh, But I never picked up on the banjo before. So um, so I, do, I did like that. Witchy woman, I always do think of Seinfeld when Elaine's like, I want that to be our song when her boyfriend's really into Desperado. And I was like, what the hell is Witchy Woman? There's actually kind of a cool descending melodic guitar part that's kind of going on in there, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Not a huge fan of the chorus, but... um, what else there's elements of this that i should that that's kind of in my wheelhouse so you do have that country rock um which i do like i just and with a song like i think josh you mentioned the train leaves that here this morning Mm -hmm. that to me sounded like a song that could have been on one of these grateful dead albums that we've covered the american beauty or the uh, working man's dead it's kind of got that grateful dead vibe to it with some of the harmonies too i think there's definitely you know you can definitely pick up a lot of the harmonies here um so and i do like that dead stuff it's just, it, it, it did. It fell flat for me. And I think that you both of you guys have used this word, but the best word that I could use to describe this is generic. This is generic 70s rock. This is what I'm hearing. It's in the background. It's not... It, it, there's there's some perfectly fu- perfectly fine things going on here, but this is not really moving me any in any way. And there's actually like Chug All Night is a great example of this. This is one of those songs that on one listen I never heard the song before, and I'm listening to it and I pick up on the lyrics because the lyrics are so <laughs> dumb, right? This is one yeah. of those songs that I've said mm-hmm. that I I could recognize when a song has dumb lyrics or bad lyrics, and to me Chug mm-hmm. All Night is kind of just these like really. No, it's not the only one. I can it's, tell you it's that. It's not the only, but yeah. it's the one that's. And I'm like, what is? It? And I looked them up, and I'm reading through. Them, I'm like, no, I'm not wrong. They're dumb. It's like, let's just chug all night. We can hug all night. You know, the band is. <laughs> well, loose yeah, and, and they're not even right. like fun. They're not even like fun, dumb, like Kiss. Oh, you know, or something sh- where it's right. like. Yeah. It's just like, hey guys, here's here's the music. Somebody just throw together some words to put on this, and we'll record it in five seconds, right? In five minutes, right? So. I don't like this. This is not it. It's just, and I think that what puts it over the edge for me, it probably is, John, what you're describing as kind of like a perfectly mediocre album. But when people talk about the Eagles and the bajillion copies of albums that they sold mm-hmm. and like all this, you know, I remember in the 90s when the Hell Freezes Over tour came back and and my mom my mom spent the, the ridiculous fee of $100 
to see the Eagles live during that tour. That was like a huge thing. My mom's like, wow, I don't know if I, I really like the Eagles though. So I'm going to pay a hundred dollars. And everybody's like, Oh my God, a hundred dollars for a concert. You know, that was like a huge thing in 1994 or whenever it was, but like to have all of this like praise and whatever for a band, that's just kind of, I talk about no edge, wimpy, just generic, just it's there. Right. Um, and I didn't really, aside really from take it easy and a couple of parts here and there, like I said, witchy woman, Peaceful, easy feeling. The chorus, I don't mind too much. Nightingale's it's, not it's, a bad it's, song. Um, what did I say about that? I just felt that was generic. It's just kind of, it's just it there. Is. You know, it's it not. Is. And that's the thing. It's just, it's okay. It's just there. And I'm like, why do you, I, I don't get it. I, you're right. I don't know anybody our age that loves the Eagles as well. This definitely seems to be more of a generational type band, but mm. they did sell. When you talk about the Greatest Hits album, like mm, that's right. the, that's the one that sold. I don't know where it is, but it's 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 like top five maybe of all time. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's it's so um, so people love them, and I think that that's what puts me over the edge. It's one of those bands that I'm like, okay, it's like the Rod Stewart thing, but only to a larger extent because yeah. people love the Eagles way more than Rod Stewart. And it's just like, come on, man, this there's so much. There's bands that do the same do do a similar thing way better to me than what the Eagles yeah. have done. Um, well, and uh, I- yeah, so. Can I play a little game with you guys? Because I have a theory, and you guys can tell me if it's a theory you ascribe to. I believe that every five years, there comes a band that's palatable to the masses that you look at, Mm. and they sell tons of albums. But every five years, it's the same band. Pretty, They may not sound exactly the same, but they have a sound that breaks into the mainstream. Critics hate them. They sell a zillion albums. They... Kind of go, and I feel like the Eagles are that for the early '70s. And to give you like a uh, another thing, I think Nickelback was that for the early 2000s, right? I'd say That's Hootie and the Blowfish. Is Hootie also. and the Blowfish, you <laughs> nailed it, Josh, Josh. That was who I literally picked for the late '90s. Hootie and the Blowfish. So obviously, you get what I'm saying there. Yes. So who yeah. who are those bands? So we named three right there. Late '90s is Hootie and the Blowfish. Uh, I would also throw a. Uh, honorable mention to the Goo Goo Dolls for the late 90s as well for a band like that. You know, people may not like that as much. Early 2000s, definitely Nickelback. Who is... So who can we name as other bands that fit that criteria in the the late... Oh, that's a... That's a pretty good one, Matt. Yeah, that's. A good I think one. they're a little bit better band. I'll, though, no, I will say that because yeah. I'll go to bad for their first two and a half yeah. albums that are as being very good albums. Viva, um, uh, Viva La Vida is a pretty good album too. I that's have got to some say. moments. That's got yeah. yeah. They're they're certainly better. Um, the Killers maybe. I don't know if they were. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to think of who's a rock band nowadays. First of all, yeah, that's I like. Heard well, I'm rock. thinking. I'm thinking seventy. Foo so like, I, I know some people yeah. would say Boston. <laughs> oh yeah, nowadays it probably is the Foo Fighters, isn't it? But. Um, I think the late 70s people would say Boston, but I actually think Boston's a pretty good band. <laughs> and I think people have kind of turned around on that a little bit. Maybe Journey? Would it be Journey? Although Maybe. I think people I, have turned around on Journey too. I think yeah, all of these bands true. that you're mentioning, or I would much rather listen to them than the Eagles. You know, yeah. I see what you're saying though, Josh, mm-hmm. John. Um, that's a... That's an interesting well, and then point. it's like, guess, is, 80s, is 80s Aerosmith that band for the 80s? Because, I mean, but, do, do or the do you have to ignore that? Do the critics well, hate, hate 80s Aerosmith, Aerosmith and, 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 and No, they and love Eagles? 70s. They love 70s Aerosmith. They hate 80s Aerosmith. They tend to be very flat on the Eagles in terms of critical acclaim. I, I'm, I'm, okay, now I got to look to see how many recovering of the Eagles in our. That uh, might be an one. essential only, question for only yeah. one. Hotel yeah. California is the only Eagles album that's on the best ever mm-hmm. albums top 100 list. So, 
And that um, might and hmm. that might be the question we have for the essential question next time. And then number two, I want to say is I don't know if there's an artist whose solo career after being in a big band I hate more than Don Henley. I don't know <laughs> if there's any solo artist who I I don't like anything Don Henley like he somehow managed to combine the worst of like Bruce Springsteen nostalgia with like the most trite lyrics and just oh like he was like Phil the worst of Phil Collins and the worst of Bruce Springsteen and the worst like every single one you know like mainstream like who has like love and hate all of them the worst of them like was what Don Henley's and I remember Age of Innocence that oh it was end of the innocence (laughs) end of innocence oh it's fucking awful like I will go to bat I have always liked I will say this (laughs) full disclosure I've always liked the Boys of Summer I've always I hate that song I hate it always liked uh, what is it the Last Resort is a good song Uh, too I always liked those songs all she wants to do is dance that's that's oh just. They're all awful. Oh, the awful. heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Uh, I always like that too. I like Don Headley better than the Eagles. I like that easy 80 he, cheese oh, baseball. Tw- I don't I, I agree totally, that at all. I totally I like, understand. I like Glenn Fry's direction more. If we're gonna make that, if we're gonna. Oh, he does like. Then. Didn't he at do least like the, his, he the heat is on, on right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like Don Henley's solo career yeah. is like if you if you think Brian Adams you know doesn't yeah. give you enough like yeah. no, nothingness <laughs> then I've got Don Henley for you to do, and I just uh, I just remember on MTV it was one of the few artists that as a kid I just I had to turn off his music because I hated it so much at yeah. least like somebody like Brian Adams had like heaven or something which I could at least sing along like a power ballad right? nothing from Don so I have to throw it out there Don Henley's solo career probably my <laughs> least favorite solo career of any person from a band going solo so yeah oh, I um that's that's more my own guilty pleasure thing. So because uh, I know most people like that, my our peers of mine and stuff like all agree. Like yeah, nobody really likes Don Henley, but um, yeah, that's an interesting. Qu- I like your I like your uh, your your framework there, John. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a band that's just never really. They have moments. There are some songs that I do like. I do like Hotel California. I do like Desperado. Uh, I like I like Take It Easy. You know, um, but is as to get the praise and the, the the album sales and stuff, and it's just. It's, I'm like I don't. There's so much better stuff. There's so many other artists that you could go to and get much a much better version of this. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that's so the indictment for me is that I could name three bands that do the Eagles in the '70s better than the Eagles themselves. So it's kind of yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think there's probably a million other bands that were around at the same time doing the same type of music and the evils were just the ones that got lucky. But but this is the, fr- I think, and I would say this too before we go move on. I think this is the first album that we've covered in the 70s that has hit that, that sounds like that 70s rock like that generic yeah. 70s rock that you just you put it you put on a like a classic well, radio steely station. dan does too but not as generic yeah. yeah yeah but that was that was much more interesting that musically that was a much more interesting album um and uh yeah and this is just seems like it's like a hundred other bands like bar bands trying to trying to do this um that just makes you go okay that's fine but to be like oh my god the eagles like whatever i, I don't get it i, don't, I wonder I don't if people like this band because they just like singing along to the songs well i you know i think you're on to something josh where this is kind of a rejection of the 60s because the 60s was pretty freaking dark in 1971 like everybody was dying right and i think right. a lot of people are like where does this lead to you know like if everybody we listen to gets eaten up by this lifestyle and as you said before 
oh, they're doing more simple music for like the complex stuff that's better. Not all the complex stuff was better. There's a lot of stuff that sucked as well in the 70s and 71s that was complex, right? And I think some people are like, if I'm going to listen to like mainstream radio, I'd rather listen to somebody that has no guile and plays songs I can sing along with. And kind of it's a little bit of a rejection of the 60s, isn't it? Because... I feel this is kind of music that absolutely rejects a little bit of what the 60s was. And I think that's why critics hate this stuff because Mm. they were part of the 60s. But that was a rebellion against that because it's like a lot of people were like, you know, know, Jimi Hendrix dead at 27, Janis Joplin dead at 27, everybody else using drugs. The Stones are out here, you know, you know, tax exiles, you know, stuff like that. The Beatles can't get along. You know, everything's there. And it's like, eh, you know. Take right. it easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or trying, trying, which yeah. I feel is the most uh, Eagles song on this entire album. Like yeah, you can't pick just, a, a better was, song of what people may not like about the Eagles than trying. Yeah, it's that was just there. Yeah, it is just exactly. there. This album yep. is just there. Yep, for sure. <laughs> yep. All right. Any final thoughts, guys? No, I knew we would have a lot to say about this. Yeah, I hope people <laughs> attack us. And I, I, I actually really would like diehard Eagles fans to kind of come in and go at yeah. us. I yeah, actually yeah. would welcome that. So man, if you're a I've diehard had, Eagles fan. I've had a really rough day and I hate the fucking <laughs> Eagles, man. I put that clip up. Uh, yeah. uh, well, that, that's the kind of guy I want, though. The guy who kicks him out of the... You Get know, your the own cab, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. End of the Eagles segment, and we are at our last segment. It's not going to be the last time we cover this guy, but there's only one first time, and this is the first time we're going to be doing Stevie Wonder talking books. So this is, uh, it's pretty early Stevie Wonder. It's not early, early Stevie Wonder, but it's pretty early. Um, Josh is yeah. going to start us off on this one, but uh, Matt, what are your thoughts? So this is the third highest ranking Stevie Wonder album on Best Ever Albums. It's number 147 in the 1970s, number 16 in 1972, number 619 of all time. And on Rolling Stone's list, it comes in at number 59 of all time. Wow. So very, fairly, very highly regarded with the Rolling Stone people. Sure is. Interesting. Well, not highly regarded with me. Not or not Ooh. as high as that, really. Um, so the key point or the key sounds on this album. So, okay, let me back up. This is a very different sounding album than anything we've heard before. And that is because of the clavinet that he plays on this. And I went in and also the elect, uh, electronic bass or synth bass, I guess, is also kind of the other prominent sound on this album. And I went, I, I looked at looked it up because I couldn't, like put together what what instrument it was and you know i don't think we've heard the clavinet much on or any uh, up to i this think point. it was on i think it might have been on bill withers album i think he it was, was using it yep. a little bit yeah okay. not much not nearly as much as stevie no Wonder. but it's <laughs> that is... it's that funky it's like the piano part in it's like the part in uh, superstition right they like mm-hmm. the funk it's like yes. the funk funk piano correct so it, yeah basically okay. it was developed in germany i i looked it up i watched a video on it and Makes sense. um and yeah, it's just kind of an electric uh, version of a of a clavichord. And um, so yeah, that is all on this album. And Stevie Wonder's really uh, into kind of the funk on this album. That's kind of the direction that this album is in. And um, he's also I noticed some some vocal distortion when he sings on certain songs. Now he has a very good voice and. You know, Stevie Wonder's been performing since what he was a kid, I think, and 
and he's a really good uh, piano player as well. But I don't, I didn't, this album didn't really resonate with me much. I don't like, I felt like there was too many ballad slash love songs on this album that I didn't really care for. I think Superstition is by far the standout track, and that's mainly because of the of the clavinet and the bass line on that. I think it's in just kind of one of a kind, really. And and that comes up, uh, that sound comes up over and over again. Um, I liked hearing the sound, but there wasn't a lot in here that I said, ooh, that, that's great, or ooh, that, that's one I hadn't heard of before that that um, is a good a good cut that um, needs to go in the rotation. I really think like he uh, took a, I think he was trying for some sort of uh, concept album almost, or he seemed to have a theme on this album, right? Of like love and, and uh, heartbreak and, and kind of positive feelings, I think. And, and um, yeah, for some reason this one just, I feel like there's got to be better Stevie Wonder albums out there that I haven't heard before. That was kind of my main takeaway. Hot hot take. This album fucking sucks. I hated this album. And I and I hated really? it, and I I hated it even more when I saw that it was ranked 59 in Rolling Stone and I mm. was like I don't get this. I I don't understand it. Okay. Superstition is a fantastic song yeah. and I believe when I fall in love is a great is a great song too. That the chorus there is great. I thought this album was boring as all get out. I was just waiting for like if if he did more with what he did with superstition with the yeah. uh, with the drums like that particularly like the second track is a great example of this because it seems like it starts off kind of cool with the clavinet kind of thing going on the little funky part and i kept waiting for the drums to kick in to kind of bring it up and to kind of go up because i think that it had that potential to do that um and while the drums do come in, they're like almost to the background or they just, they're kind of just, they do a little bit of thing here and then they go away. And I'm like, what is this? It's almost part of this album reminded me of there's a riot going on um, mm. by, you know, the Sly and the Family Stone in the sense that like, it's kind of, it's almost seems like he's doing demos, right? Like of un, it's unfinished to me. There's, mm. there's just parts in here that I'm just like, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of the hooks or the melodies quite aren't quite there. Um, maybe the lyrics are great, but again, I'm not looking for that. It sounds kind of wimpy, kind of like, you know, like a lounge act kind of thing that's just there. And I just kept waiting for something cool to happen because it's Stevie Wonder. Like people love Stevie right. Wonder and it's like, you know, songs in the key of life. You talk about other albums. I hope that, I mean, there's two of them, that, you know, right off the bat that you know that are supposed to be like, songs in the key of life is number four on Rolling Stone. So like they, yeah. you know, he ranked very highly, but I was just like, what am I, what am I missing here? And apparently John, I, from his reaction, seems like he likes this. So I'm interested to hear what's, what's so great about this, but I, it's, it's, it's missing me, right? It's just, this. it's totally bypassed me. I didn't really feel there was much that I was connecting with at all. I don't think it's one of those situations where I wasn't listening to it at the right time. I just, I was just left very nonplussed by this. Um, and I was very, and I was expecting to like it. I was expecting to be like, okay, now I get to hear why Stevie Wonder is so great. And I think because of that, along with it being ranked so highly with Rolling, I was I was shocked. My mouth was like this. And oddly enough, I found this funny too. This is uh, ranked number 59, number 60 is Astral Weeks. So you've got like one, two right there <laughs> yeah. of two albums that to me are way, way higher than what they should be. So um, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch of listeners out there that are like, that are like, you know, 
like dumbfounded by this, but I, I don't get it. So John, you tell me, what am I missing here? Cause this to me was boring and un, just uninteresting. And I, I'm not going to go back to this ever. Well, I, I was in the middle on, I actually thought I was going to be the guy who was kind of saying a little bit of what you guys said too. And that I didn't connect to this album. I though didn't hate it like you did. And I might've found more in it. The, the clavinet is there. Uh, it's just one of the things, I, the thing that stood out to me on this album is this, the Moog synthesizer is on this album all over the place. The the um, electric piano is all over this album. Uh, he's doing a lot of different things. And so this falls in that category of me of, I could appreciate in first listen the amount of stuff that he was doing, right? And I know how layered it was and how much stuff there was. And I'm sure if I listen to a second and third time, I would mm -hmm. even greater appreciate that. I will go with a new take on this album that will not be the case on later Stevie Wonder albums, which I know better, and then one that is a consistent thing I say about Stevie Wonder albums. The thing I consistently say is that I feel Stevie Wonder has a little bit of Bob Dylan for me in the sense that I usually like his songs done by other people better than I sometimes like when he does his own songs. Okay. Um, I don't... Like, like Josh said, it's not that he has a bad voice. It's just not a voice that resonates with me. It's a voice that... A lot of other people hear sorrow and longing and elation and stuff in, and I only hear a guy singing a love song to someone as his one default, you know, type of song. Hmm. Um, so that is one thing that does sometimes you know, be a barrier for me with is a barrier for me with the uh, Stevie Wonder. I think this album falls in the category of this was more of an interesting album in concept than it was in terms of how it made me feel. So this one engaged my brain because there was a lot going on and I was interested in it, but it didn't engage my soul as much. And I think that's where I'm missing what some of these other people see. Um, I know this is the Stevie Wonder album that critics like as much for the wow. um, experimentation stuff, mm. which makes sense, you know, whereas other ones, it's like, I feel his soul and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, a 12 love songs that kind of say the same thing. I mean, you're not going to get it lyrically. At least I'm not. It, it kind of says the same. I, know, I say 12. I'm sorry. It's 10 songs that are in there. Um, I've never been a huge fan of You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't do enough for, it's only like, it's not even three minutes, I don't think. Um, and it just doesn't feel like there's enough there. I, yeah. That's superstition. We've talked about it is the best song on this album. I actually like, you've got a bad girl as well is always a song that I've liked. So that middle point there was probably my mm -hmm. favorite, uh, part of the album tracks five and six. There's a little bit of it for me, um, that it did bleed together a little bit. It was a little boring for me. Um, but I don't know if it was as boring as it was for you, Matt, because I could at least get into all the different instrumentation. I do think that yeah. if I listened to this the second time, I would like it a little bit better. But yeah, I can't sit here and say that I, as a, I can't say as a funk album, I like it better than most of the funk albums we've done. As an R&B or soul album, I can't say I like it better than most of the R&B or soul albums we've done yeah. before. It's certainly, if we're going with where black music was in 1972, I was much more interested in what Curtis Mayfield and Bill Withers yeah. were selling me than yeah. I was in what Stevie Wonder was selling me here. Now, I know his next album's Inner Visions, and I'll be interested in what your takes are on that, because I think we do cover that. Yeah, it's number if 30 I, in the 70s. Yeah. And mm. uh, it's, uh, it's a very different album in some ways. Um, I'll be interested to see what you guys think, if it continues what you guys think, or if you go in a different direction. Um, and, and I'm a little more familiar with that than I am with this one. But yeah, I was left a little flat with this one. I, I, 
I think I'm with you guys on that. Um, what, with that what being is, said, he okay. is a genius in terms of layering music because yeah, he does it is stacked on top of each other and there's a lot of interesting shit going on here so that is is that when you say that it it, it uh it engaged your brain is that what you're talking yeah. about because all this it, it engaged my brain like the jazz did right where i just okay. heard different tracks and i i followed certain okay. sounds and then i said to myself okay now let me go into another sound and like i said if i listen to it two or three times i could yeah. listen to different sounds on the same songs and i'm guessing the critics that love this album did that um and that I think is, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff with his voice, you know, multiple tracking and stuff like that, that, you know, Zappa was doing earlier, but he's doing it in a different way. Um, I, I just, yeah. I, I, and I know he's a, he's a genius, right? Like that's, you know, he's like what he's done. And I saw him play live. I saw him at Bonnaroo many years, several years ago. And uh, he was great. You know, he was a, he's a great performer, even at the age that, you know, that he is. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I'm, you know, I, I, part of me almost wants to go back and listen to this again because, like, of all the, like the stuff that you're talking about, the layering, all the instrumentation, what he's doing, maybe in a production standpoint. But it was just, it oh, was track there's... after track of me just kind of being like, what am I? I, well, I don't know yeah. what I'm missing here, you know. But there's um, a lot of geniuses who are. I mean, Frank Zapp is a genius, but I don't always want to listen to what he plays. You know, I'd rather listen uh, to that than yeah. Well, but you yeah. get what I'm saying? It's like right. genius. And, you know, I know you love Radiohead and stuff, but Tom York, some of his, he's a genius too, right? But some of his solo stuff, I appreciate that, that he's doing it and it's complicated, yeah, but that's uh, true. am I going to want to listen to it? Not, <laughs> yeah. And that's why I can separate. I don't, just okay. because I can appreciate someone as a genius or people tell me it doesn't mean that I have to be inauthentic and say that this music connected with me. Now, I will say that I did not dislike this music. It certainly was not something like, ugh, this just didn't hit with me. Um, totally. Yeah. But it more, I think, was I was just left a little bit flat and that it didn't. I I have a certain expectation for what I want my R&B and soul to hit, right? And, and especially my funk. I want my funk in my guts, you know, in my soul and in my, you know, but loins, it's, right? Yeah, but, and it, this didn't do that at all. Well, yeah. I did, where are the drums? Yeah, you know I what I mean. Like, I, it. yeah, <laughs> it's like in order well, to be like, it's the, don't you it's need the, that for good funk? Well, you've got some congas in some songs, I guess that's sir, and then the synthesizer in some cases is serving as the yeah. drum track. You no, know, that's, that's kind of what's going. Yeah, and that's why Superstition is such a great song because it starts off with a great drum beat. You know, and yeah. then and it permeates the entire song along with the clavinet. You know, and that's and the horns coming in like. I thought this, I saw this song on there. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And it's like, it's it, that no song on here is even close to sounding like that as far as right. I'm concerned. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons it's another, you know, that, I, that I'm so negative on it is because I was expecting so much and got so little out of it. Um, and, and then when I saw 59, I was like, what? what? I, uh, I don't get it. Yeah. It's like mm -hmm. he wanted to do like a love album, but a funk love album. And it, it didn't really yeah. work. I don't know. Well, I think I think the Funk Love album was covered by Hot Buttered Soul, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, right, a, yeah. it's yeah. a different type of hot yeah. buttered love than <laughs> maybe you, this love. Yeah. Do you think you guys? I mean, did did either of you think of um, uh, there's a riot going on at all? Like the, in terms of the production at all with this? I mean, because it's it seems like stripped down, kind of mm. muddled a little bit, um, and that that's that's something lot, I picked I picked up on. It's got a lot going on. Like there's a riot going on, but that th that. Sly and the Family Stone album was its own unique, just the way he blurred his vocals into the back. Right. You, you never, you, you know Stevie Wonder's singing, or or if it's yeah. not Stevie Wonder, whoever else is there, I yeah, never said, 
<laughs> yeah, that's not like indecipherable or clearly thrown in the back to be ambiguous. Like I, I think it's the the vocals, while not always in the front, are not deliberately pushed back. They just you know they come in when they come in and they're yeah. Not I muddled, I guess yeah. I'm I guess I'm saying that because I, I I feel like both of these are unfinished works. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, like demo kind of you know like figuring things out and that's. I was like, okay, well, what else you got? You know, what are you going to put on top of this that's going to make it what the you know the song should be in my mind? But um, that's it's more of that that, that I was kind of get that I was hearing, and um, and it's been a while since I've heard listened to "There's a Ride Going On," and I've only listened to this once, so um, maybe on subsequent listens I would change my mind on that. But that's that was that was kind of a react about the fourth song, fourth or fifth song. I was kind of like that's that's where my head started going. So yeah, I think for me it's not so much that this feels unfinished as much as it feels like when you listen to someone who can really. Play play their instrument but they play it in a way that doesn't connect with you there was a mm-hmm. little bit more of that the the sly and the family stone one felt unfinished because where sly stone was was unfinished <laughs> it was so, a, yeah. of course the album was going to be unfinished he was in a place where everything was unfinished for him so to me yeah. that even fit because that's what that album's supposed to sound like because that's that is finished for what he was going for there you know yeah. so yeah it's almost like he was trying to, you know, bring himself into the 70s and doing like an, an album that he would do in the 60s, but with like 70s instrumentation or whatever the hot the hot thing was at that time, which was, you know, like synthesizers, electronic instruments and him experimenting. But the the other part with the exception with the clear outlier of superstition that that it, it didn't come together completely. Well, and let's be honest, the critics love people that can play lots of shit, right? And he, yeah. you know, he plays the Fender Rhodes. I'm looking right now. Fender Rhodes, drums, Moog bass, Honer Clavelette, you know, like yeah, right. he does vocals and background vocals. He does the Tonto synthesizer, harmonica. And I mean, I think that stands harpsichord, right? And mm-hmm. so you look at this dude, he's picking up all these instruments. You watch him live. I'm sure it's like, holy shit, you know, this yeah. guy is a true genius. But just like Prince, right? Another guy who's in that. I like a lot of prints, and there's some prints I don't like at all. Yeah. And I can appreciate that he can play like 50 instruments, but sometimes I'm not interested in what he's doing on those 50 instruments. Mm-hmm. No, so, I'm yeah. definitely looking forward to hearing the other CB Wonder albums because I'm sure that there's stuff out there that you know uh, that that I that I would like. I was just yeah, I was just taken back by this, and uh, yeah, and plus all that stuff, John. On top of that, the fact that he's blind, you know, <laughs> like, right? Well, yeah, you know, you know what I mean—a significant disability—and he's and he's uh, you know able to you know to do all that stuff. But but even a song like I believe when I fall in love, it. Um, which I did know. I remember that from uh, High Fidelity, right? That's the closing track of of that movie, High mm-hmm. Fidelity. Which, and that's a, that's a great chorus. Like that's a that's a beautiful, you know, uh, soaring chorus. Um, and none of the other songs. So it's different than than Superstition, right? So that's got the like the funk song going on. And but none of the other songs had really that type of hook or that type of chorus either. And that's why I was just like, wow. Just I'm just surprised. I know I keep repeating myself, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stop at that. I was just I was surprised at how much. Um, this did nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. So, hey. uh, yeah. We're nothing if not honest, you know? And that's, uh, I think sometimes people will try to tell you what they think you want to hear, but I think by now you should know that we're going to tell you what we think as opposed to just what we're supposed to say. So I appreciate that. So Josh, any last thoughts? No, I'm surprised we, uh, we're all in agreement on this album. I didn't, I didn't know what, uh, what to expect. Yeah. So, well, it was an interesting seven albums this show, wasn't it? I mm-hmm. was, thoroughly um impressed by the diversity of this year's or this week's choices and i have to say even the ones i didn't connect with as much i was glad that i listened to them because it gave me a very 
diverse palette this week of episodes. Of, yeah, we uh, saved. I like them all except the last two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was not by intention because we do yeah. this randomly, right? So next week we go back to the regular show, though, guys. And are you ready to talk about, you know, real quick to tease for everybody what we're doing? I know sure. we talked about it last episode, but let's review again. Matt, what are you covering next week? I'm, I'm, what's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which, so we'll if I'm right not mistaken, is the number one album in Rolling Stone's new list. So, uh, oh. yeah, I that's like so. a wow. granddaddy album. And Josh, how about you? I've got Cans. Tago Mago or Tago Mago. Wango Tango. Yeah, I was about to say, is that the Wango Tango of the 70s? I know nothing about this band or or this album. We're going to get some German Krautrock. That's going to be what's coming. Yep. Is Wango Tango 70s or is that 80s? It is late 70s. It is late it's 70s. 70s. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to be a, a guy who's unfamiliar to fans of this show, David <laughs> Bowie. You may have heard that he's had some albums. We've done only three of them already including <laughs> two in the last couple of weeks it feels like i'm going to be doing uh you know, he does one every year so this is his 1973 entry i'm going to be doing aladdin sane next week mm-hmm. nice. so there we go and we've got some big ones coming up in future weeks too so i'm looking forward to some of those as well any final thoughts before we sign off guys just that i'm glad we're doing the the rolling stone integrations into that to to round out our our music i think just going by uh best ever albums would kind of give you a skewed view of of what's out there in that decade absolutely i agree 100 percent. and uh, mean, i'll just i'll, I'll just say i apologize to stevie wonder and all of his fans i'm sure they're all <laughs> wonderful people yes are you going to apologize to the eagles fans or are you just going to let them nope. screw you nope. no no excuse okay. for you guys <laughs> Yep, so, the Rod, so Van Morrison, Rod Stewart, and Eagles, and James Taylor, right? Yeah. James, fans, oh, you know, he's the he's the granddaddy. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. the I get the Simon and Garfunkel fans coming after me because I had the hottest take there. Even though I actually like that album, <laughs> I just said I don't get it as a pinnacle thing. But I've heard I don't know. It. I don't know, dude. You you said what, what was the word that you used? This album is uh, not garbage. Gross. Yeah, no, you called I, it gross. gross. It so is. I don't know how you could say. So it's interesting you say you like an album, yeah. yet you call it gross. That's an interesting. Well, it's gross uh, in terms of what it's come to stand for. You know, it's come to stand for like, I, I was saying it's like, it's a baby boomer excess. Not so much their fault because they made it before that was a thing. But that's kind of what I got. It's like, ugh. It's got this, this stench of, it just came to, if for whatever reason it symbolizes, it, that and that Crosby, Stills and Nash album just symbolized to me yeah like the soundtrack of a certain type of baby boomer like thinking that yeah that's what i was getting at i didn't do a very good job of explaining it though so simon and garfunkel fans who keep yelling at me i liked all of their albums to varying degrees i really liked two of them i really liked paul simon's much more than, than one of my guys that. did than yeah. that so i kind i only say i hate when he does world music and to some degree, they're the ultimate baby boomer band, along with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So for those of you yelling at me on social media, it's okay. You'll get over it. I'm not going to change my <laughs> mind, though, on that. So, yeah. And Josh, what's your hottest take? That Abbey Road's not good? I think that might be your hottest one to this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Abbey Road's overrated. <laughs> I yeah, think. I think that's that's the hottest of Josh's takes right now. So. It's a dumb take is what that is. <laughs> dumb. Josh, that take is dumb. Well, there well, we go. And with that, yeah. we're going to end. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for, for uh, varying degrees of stupidity, Matt and Josh based on each other, this is John. We'll see you next week uh, for a return to the normal episodes.
The Coming to Stacks podcast is hosted by John, Josh, and Matt, who thank you as always for listening to the show. We'd like to thank our podcast host, Anchor, for hosting our full archive of shows. We'd also like to thank CleanFeed for providing our audio and Audacity for providing the editing software we use for the creation of the show. Coming to Stacks can be found on the following 10 platforms and counting. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Verbal. Viewer feedback can be sent to comingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at the and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow. A website is coming on May 1st, 2021, and we'll make sure to let you know where to go.